welcome to Every Album Ever with Mike and Alex. My name is Michael Mansour, and I'm joined, as always, by my, I'm jealous of his shirt co-host, Alexander Volt. Say hello. Hello. This is Every Album Ever, the podcast where we listen to every single album in the world, one artist at a time. That's a whole new discography per episode. And uh, today, we're going to be discussing every album by The Dars. Oh, who? We've never heard of them. Oh, never. Must be some new up-and-coming band that no one in the world likes, especially not in East L.A., where I grew up. Mm, we, we went real obscure on this one. This is a... Uh, uh, I, we've been doing this podcast for years now, and this is one of the ones that everyone <laughs> asked for, and we just never did. And have have pe- I guess yeah, it's, yeah, it's been so long. I there's been a number of requ- no one's paid us for it. That's that's yes. really, well, technically, this is um I think this was also on our Patreon poll, so I okay. technically pulled it out of there. Yeah, um, the doors. Everybody loves the doors. Everybody knows the doors. There's not even much to to talk about. Uh, if you unless you're I don't know. From a very tiny foreign country for some reason, uh, and hearing this podcast and not knowing the door. <laughs> I don't know, dude. Uh, I'm assuming you like them. <laughs> I was fond of them as a young lad. Yeah, it's one of the, I guess, our generation, you, it was like kids' music. You grew up with it. And uh, I had no, no desire to listen to them as a teenager or, you know, young adult. Getting older. Okay. Uh, older as an older adult. So you mean now then? You mean yes. you have no interest in hearing them now? Like in the past, like 10 years or so. Yeah, same. I, and I, I was bombarded with, I, and literally well, we both grew up in East LA, but uh, you, you were more on the Asian side of town. I was more on the Mexican side of town. Yes. And boy, do East LA Mexicans love them some doors. It's the doors and the Smiths. Check out that episode. And it makes the doors make more, makes more sense than the Smiths. Yes. Uh, I think it makes way more sense. Uh, but it was just overwhelming. It's like, you can't escape anything without hearing every fucking doors song. And I don't, I mean, they were a great band. I liked them growing up, whatever, but you definitely my entire adult life. I had no interest, not even bothering to go back. Uh, so this was this is fun. This is very interesting. What what are your thoughts now as a as an as a grizzly vet, grizzly uh, grizzled vet? Now I find them kind of boring. <laughs> I was gonna go oh, fuck. I, oh shit, I didn't think we were gonna go there. I think they're yeah, there's one album I really like. Um and then doing what we do on this podcast, I was like Man, I it feels like they're falling apart, but maybe it's just in my head and then going through like the history. Oh, like, oh they, no, they, they were, they were falling, falling apart. They were falling apart almost immediately. Yeah, almost Wh- yeah. within a year. They were falling up. But okay, that's fascinating. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm a little saddened by by the, the the I don't want to say jaded, but it seems a little jaded. Yeah, I think uh you know, we make our, our playlist, which yes. uh, listeners can check out on the doors. And I think I'd, they're more like a playlist band to me. Uh, not even greatest hits, like just what I want and then one one album. Oh, oh I, I and I disagree. This is that, this is a band where uh, and this is and also semi not, no, this is not a semi-controversial. This is a very controversial opinion and how I don't really care much for Jimi Hendrix. I think he's mm-hmm. like amazing. And, and the first album, I think, is one of the best records of the era. But I found like as a whole catalog and be like, oh, that's kind of like he's a you know great guitarist, but I didn't mm-hmm. care much for his songwriting. Uh, this is one I was expecting wholeheartedly to feel the same. Like yes. at, li- overrated. There, there obviously some good stuff in there. Listening as an adult, I understand why 
they're so beloved. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were a truly, truly special band. I think in in terms of of, of style and personality that no one really did. And and if you if you're uh, bombarded with it, like like I was as a kid or anybody is at this point, you forget that like no one sounded like this. Yeah, it is such a there's such a a weird warmth. Because now it's been done to death. Yeah. But at the time, it's like, oh, this is, I guess, a rock and roll band, but it's loungier and, and darker and kind of, and just the key, the implement, implementation of the keys alone is such a a nice little, sp- I don't want to say spin, but it just, it just gave it a different taste. And I, I, I really, I really love them for that. I Even if I, I know there's a lot of stuff I don't like, mm-hmm. but goddamn, do I respect the hell of it? And I like them more as an adult now. I think it was. It was also very interesting hearing like these conscious decisions they made to be different because I think they could have totally fallen in the trap of sounding even more like you know, like the Rolling Stones. Yeah, like yeah. Uh, Des Desmore would go on to say about not having a bass player that like. Th- it was like, no, we got our keys our you know, with, with Ray yeah, on yeah. the keyboards. That's what makes us unique. We don't need. And it's, and that's a huge, a huge part of it, but I, I will not ever shy away from giving credit to God damn Robbie Krieger. Holy uh, shit. This dude's songwriting is truly, he really is a great songwriter and, and doing stuff that was, uh, you, you, when you hear a style like that, you expect the songs to go one way, and they always just did something a little different. And, I, mm-hmm. and, and he's the, he's like the song. He is the Doors. Everyone obviously looks at uh, Jim Morrison, and people really look at at Ray as like the one of the the big guys. And he didn't fucking write that much. He just played the keys. Sorry, yeah. but Robbie, he did so much of their absolute best stuff. He's responsible for like their best stuff. Yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, I mean. Morrison's lyrics are obviously legendary. And his voice itself is very good, yes. And I think I took some of the lyrics for granted because they're, they're so ingrained in pop culture. But, like, if you just kind of sit down and isolate them, like, he really he really did have a way with words on, on certain songs. Like, as much as I hate the idea of legendary musicians and especially when they die young, they have to be cemented in stone as geniuses. I don't, when I think of now after all this and doing all these, all Mm -hmm. like reading all these notes and this history, I just feel bad for him. It's just like, Oh, this dude was just an alcoholic and no one helped him because of the time he lived in and the people he had around him. And he just, he didn't have to die that young. No, it's, uh, it's one, one sexy man elevated a, a really mid band. I disagree. I disagree <laughs> entirely. No, Robbie's the fucking man. God, you're crazy, dude. Even after fucking being smothered by these songs, yeah, yeah. I, I, have, I can't not give it up. Like this is just, it's so well done. And as albums, I think they are, they never made a perfect album. Mm-hmm. Every album is flawed. Even, even the absolute best ones that I do love, mm-hmm. but you, you, pick out their best songs it's incredible absolutely incredible there there are unique things uh there's a reason uh some songs have been sampled to death so yeah another random thing i was thinking about was like um it's been a lot of young rappers who passed away this year and like how i i guess that that ship has sailed for me it's not my music but how their deaths will probably uh for good or bad elevate 
those those rappers maybe into legendary status so we'll it seems I, to do the trick for a lot of people not all of them but yeah many. so uh that was also uh not a random thought i had while listening to this but kind of thinking about the times we're currently in for example like it's the that group migos it's so funny how oh, right, yeah. like everyone like makes fun of them and they're it's like simplistic rapping should yeah. But then uh, I I apologize. I forgot which member of Migos died, but then he dies. And now it's like, oh, Migos. Like, it's it's because it, well, it's also like the uh, what would they have done next? Yeah, like, there's, also, there's also that. But a lot of times, I mean, I probably mentioned it before, but it was an it was an old Doug Stanhope joke where he's he's mocking the people that said, you know, Kurt Cobain and Hendrix, like they had so much more to give. And he's like, how do you know? Maybe they're out of shit. Maybe. And, yeah. And, and honestly, for a lot of them, it's like, yeah. I mean, I We've know. covered a lot of bands who ran out of shit. I'm, and I do truly believe the Doors were one of those. I believe Jim Morrison was out of shit. Yeah. By the end of it, it's not that I, I think like they were suddenly bad, mm-hmm. but looking at the trajectory, I can't say the word, trajectory, uh, it's clear like the incredible stuff was fucking hyper-focused into the mm-hmm. first year that yeah. they existed. And then everything after that was like, let's try this, let's try this. And then there's input from this guy. And then, ah, uh, fuck it. We're doing horns now. Uh, you know what? We're blues again. Like, it's, it, it just it's felt all, less... All le- over the place. It felt less uh, passionate. Went from a scenario of extreme teeth-cutting scenarios into, oh, we're we're famous and this guy's fucking strung out. Oh, to say the least. Uh, but we have plenty, plenty, plenty of notes here from our history man, Tom Osmond. Uh, and boy, oh boy, where do, where to even start? So he got like the vast majority of his 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 notes he pulled from um, John Den's. Uh, I, John Densmore. I can't even say, I can't say names. Uh, Writers on the Storm. Yeah. Writers on the Storm. uh, My Life with Jim Morrison and the Doors, which came out in 1990. Uh, Drummer John Densmore, for those who don't know. And uh, 2005's Jim Morrison Life Death Legend by Stephen Davis. And as a whole, and the reason he he pulled it directly from those is because it's not, we're not going to be, obviously, in case you couldn't tell by now, we're not going to be Morrison worshiping here. We don't really give a fuck. We care more about the music and what happened as the as a whole band and their journey as, as uh, musicians or something. Uh, and and Densmore, I can't, his name sounds weird when I say it. Densmore. Densmore. It sounds wrong, even yeah. though it's completely not wrong. Yeah. Densmore's book seems a lot more focused on the band as a whole in like, you know, his perspective of, mm-hmm. of what happened. Um, yeah, all the all the cliche stuff from Venice Beach, California. Oh yeah, met at UCLA. All the all the cool well, known spots in LA. Yeah, that was uh yeah Morrison and then uh, Raymond Zarek. So the lineup everyone knows: Jim Morrison, Raymond Zarek, John Densmore, Robbie Krieger. Mm-hmm. Um, I think something interesting in these early days was the uh, and kind of seems unnecessary, but maybe Morrison's parents were. Not nice to him. I don't know where he just cut off all communication. This is crazy. So uh, this is from uh, Stephen Davis. He says, when when Jim joined the doors and began performing in public, he abruptly severed all contact with his family and never saw his parents again. Uh, His early act was a graphic uh, pull no punches rewrite of the ancient Oedipus legend, which he's saying of killing his father and fucking his mother in front of tens of thousands of his fans. Uh, he wasn't as explicit, but it was heavily implied. And even yeah. when he, he does, he, there were a lot of quotes of him explaining 
like the song of the end and the Oedipus stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's way less literal, obviously. Like yeah. Anybody thinks like, no, he wanted to fuck his mom. Like, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he explicitly, you know, it, it's a, it's a whole thing. And the works about Jim Morrison probably already know that, but. And then the other thing I think was interesting before we get to the albums was their time spent at a little venue called the London Fog. Oh, yeah. Well, you're, we're jumping way ahead. There's oh, a whole okay. bunch of stuff to talk about. Um, because during like uh, the, the later, you know, tr criminal trial stuff that we'll obviously get into, um, he, he told uh, Jim Morrison apparently told his lawyer, Max Fink. Uh, that he was he had bedwetting trauma and was molested as a kid when he was trying to get like why the fuck are you doing this crazy shit yeah why are you acting like, i was touched dude i don't know like yeah and it, it seems kind of like oh yeah he doesn't talk to his family uh he has this weird fascination with the oedipus stuff he's a maniac mm -hmm. that adds up uh and apparently in like 65 he started taking uh daily doses of lsd uh never really ate um wrote feverishly in his notebooks and uh I don't know. And that's one of the time he had, he, that he met um, Ray at UCLA. Yeah, Ray got John Densmore and then didn't know any guitar players. And he's like, fuck mm -hmm. it. Let's just get your boy. Let's get, you, get your yeah. boy Robbie in there. Yeah. And well, that was the guy to get. Oh, yeah. And then it's also <laughs> interesting about how like you have Morrison, who's this, you know, pretty much the face of the band. And then Robbie is this shy. and. Yep reserved and genius of the band of like anti the, like anti rock and roll guitar player it sounds like yeah it doesn't look like he's ever spoken uh, and, and not a word in his life not that one he does sing on one song in a later album mm -hmm. which is like who the fuck's that dork <laughs> oh, oh okay all right yeah, yeah. uh i actually i forgot about this um he jim uh, wrote to his dad he he wrote to his his dad saying that he was going to get into music, and his dad's like, "Yeah, yeah, you suck, dude. No, <laughs> well, he didn't say probably didn't say that, but I uh, didn't believe in him. And then later on, like years later, he's like, ah, I was wrong. <laughs> My bad. Obvious, obviously. So yeah, they they settled on Ray playing bass with his left hand, and well, lead keys with his did the phone fall. No, your iPad fell. Not the phone this time. Yeah. I'm going to fix that one day. Uh, yeah, so that was like their little hook. And like, well, we don't want to get a bass player. I think they they sounded they thought they sounded too much like every other rock and roll band. How can Which we? Is smart. It, it actually is. Um, even if there is a little bit less bottom with a you know just the what the hell did Ray play to to get that sound? The Rhodes. Uh, uh, oh yeah, it was yeah, it was a it was a it was Fender Rhodes. Yeah, the name, the Doors. Oh yeah, the name, the Doors. What the fuck was it based on? Uh, Huxley book called The Doors of Perception, which uh, apparently this conversation took place while riding around in a car, smoking... Smoking Jays. Smoking Reefer. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they were uh, trying to do it covertly in the car. It's not surprising when you, you know who Jim Morrison is that he gets the idea from a book like that. Because when you hear the name The Doors on the surface, it just sounds like another standard stupid 60s band name. Mm-hmm. And it's not even a bad name. It's just like, uh, you know, what like, the fuck other stupid ass 60s band, the, the strawberry alarm clock, like stupid <laughs> fucking names like that. Yeah. The 13th floor elevators. Come on. Check out that episode. That's better. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's not a bad name, but it's just a 60s name. But of course, there's like more to it than that because yeah, there you, always is. You throw in one of the, that, uh, one of the most interesting sci-fi authors with Huxley in there. So I've never read anything by him. 
yeah, he's, uh, yeah, I guess there's a reason his books have quoted, been quoted to death, but, uh, mm-hmm. good reads. Good reads. What, wait, what other books have you done? Has he done? Brave New World. Yes. Oh. I always get, sorry, I brain farted, always get Brave New World 1984 mixed up. That, that's a, that's a pretty big book. Yeah. Yeah. Very s- Kind of similar subjects, but uh, yes, Brave New World's other big one. Uh, one thing that I didn't know about this until doing this episode, uh, Morrison being the the complete opposite human being as Perry Farrell from Jane's Addiction. <laughs> he and, and as as you as our boy Tom puts it, and as you uh, mentioned to to us recently, yeah, Dave Matthews move. Dave Matthews. Everybody move. gets paid equally. Hell yeah. That's pretty badass. That's pretty badass considering uh, I could see, uh, you know, because we've covered where egos come in, like in Shane's addiction. Yeah. And uh, things aren't fair. And uh, I like that all four of them are, are equals. Even though they are not. It is entirely Morrison and Krieger. But although, of course, the other two contributed just significantly less significantly less at least from a writing standpoint there's like stuff that that ray did that's like paramount to the to whatever um but the man and is, i do actually do love is kind of kind of important to their he's self. extremely important i'm not i don't mean to keep shitting on raymond zarek i love x okay come on but uh and i actually do really love Den, densmore's playing as well um he, he's this really like solid in the pocket um he does like little flourishes, but he never has like big elaborate drum fills or anything. No, this, this guy knows his place. He knows his place, but also he has a personality to that, to his playing too. And mm-hmm. he does, he has a certain bag of tricks that I happen to like yeah. that he, he returns to quite a bit. Uh, but now we're back to where you began mm-hmm. the London fog. Now explain. Yes. They were paid $10 a piece, which, uh, according to Desmond, is way below Union's... You mean Densmore? Densmore. Now you... There it is. Uh, way below Union scale. And it was from 9 p.m. till 2 a.m. So that's five... As he, I love this, the way he worded this. Five hours of hardcore lounge music. <laughs> that's, what they, that's what he called it? <laughs> Jesus Christ. First of all, it sounds like a nightmare, but also 10 bucks for five hours is pretty brutal. Pretty brutal. But, you know, th- it made them razor sharp. Yeah. Talks about how, like, tiny this 10 foot stage was. Yeah, that's, yeah. Super, like, super sardines in there. And all the, like, savory characters that were in there from sailors. You mean unsavory? Unsa- sorry. <laughs> no, no they're savory. I want to eat me some sailors, dude. <laughs> These are savory characters. So, um, man, what a what a crazy place. And apparently it was just a hop and a skip away from the whiskey. So it's interesting how one is a fucking dump and the other is this illustrious. That's a lot of L.A. where you- you're you're all in the middle of a giant dumpster, mm-hmm. but this one is making a ton of money and has a bunch of people. This place is just run down and full of rats. And now the whiskey is the London fog. Is it that bad now? <laughs> it's probably not that bad, but in terms of booking bands that matter, they fucking they don't. I haven't even thought about the whiskey 
in at least a decade. It's, I forgot about like I, I've never I haven't been there since I was like 17. I feel like it's mostly a pay to play venue for local bands. So in other words, it just shat on their entire reputation. In <laughs> or, or if you're a wrestler in a band, I feel like wrestling bands always play there. I know Fozzie's played there and Jeff Hardy's band has played there. So woof woof. Jesus Christ. I didn't even know Jeff Hardy had a band. Why? That's, That's not surprising. It's something stupid like proxy Y gen and there's a question mark in the middle of it and it's awful. It's fucking, it's fucking awful. But he has makeup and he dances with his hands and his he thrusts. Jeff Hardy's is one of the most beloved wrestlers <laughs> of all time, but don't, don't make music and uh, <laughs> please, please stop doing drugs and drinking Jeff. That dude has a problem. Uh, Okay, so, th- so yeah, well, this is where they, they got all their shit. This this club, I mean, they were eventually fucking kicked out of this place too, right? More, uh, it sounds like Morrison's like slipping bandmates drugs against their will. Well, the, the, the story, and it's a fucking great story. This is the one that Densmore says where Morrison was a big fan of Poppers. I don't even know if Poppers are still around, uh, but you know, the they, little, I believe they are. Yeah, the little thing you, you sniff them and then you turn into some sort of Super Saiyan. So they're they're in the middle of one of the Light My Fire solos that goes on for thirty five minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, Densmore says Jim wor- whirled around from the microphone and stuck an Amy, which or Amy, or, mm. which is what they call them um, at the time. Yeah, for for um. What's the full name from? Oh, Amyl Nitrates. Amyl Nitrates. Yeah. Um, that's like the real name for poppers. Uh, yeah, so I stuck an, an Amy under my nose. I tried to squirm away without getting up or stopping the song. I doubled over with laughter. My sides hurt. I could barely hold on to the drumsticks. Jim turned to Robbie, but Robbie, being mobile with his guitar cord, got away. Ray was next. Like me, he couldn't leave his instrument. He was laughing hysterically as Jim staggered toward him, leaned over the keyboard, and stuck the Amy under Ray's nostrils as Ray swayed back and forth trying to avoid the popper. His hands flailed wildly at the organ, and the tempo of Light My, For- Light My Fire sped up deliriously. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. I mean... That yeah. sounds so fun. Also, on a stage that small, there's nowhere... There's really nowhere to... Nowhere to go. To, nowhere. And yes, I see now they were they were fired. They were fired... Uh, how they get fired? Does not specify. All right, um, Ronnie Heron, who's apparently uh, some hot blonde, uh, she booked them at the whiskey, mm-hmm. and that was it. They were at the whiskey now. Yep. Uh, and then they they opened for Zappa and Miller's Invention, them, the Animals, Buffalo Springfield, and Beefheart. Check out that episode. And apparently, knew Beefheart. I did not know that. Huh? And they were. Oh yeah, like, they hung out with it, with Don or yeah. you know Beefheart, which is fucking wild. Like I had no idea. Uh, Densmore talks more about. It. He says. That Don Van Vliet, alias Captain Beefheart, uh, was eccentric but instantly likable. He had a unique sense of humor. Don did a monologue in the dressing room before their show about his toothbrush, and it's the most Beefheart thing I've ever <laughs> fucking heard. He would. Very bizarre. The man could rap about anything and make it fascinating. Once on stage, his Helen Wolf voice had us in awe. I had a gut response to his blues-based music more so than the folk rock songs or folk rock groups like the Birds. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I heard in passing that they were friends with Beefheart, but mm. that's so wild. I mean such two completely diff- different so different <laughs> so fucking different uh but it, it's actually it's quite endearing that they they knew each other yeah zappa and terry melker or melcher of the birds um wanted to produce the band but they were like they they were i guess biding their time or holding their breath for record label mm-hmm. which came true with electra came a knocking boy electra Oh man, I have thoughts about this record label. Uh, they have so many like legendary, legendary acts, but I don't know what they do these days. I don't know either. Um, Let's pro- well, I probably 
not the person you want to talk to about uh popular newer acts so yeah neither, neither of us uh, i didn't also didn't know that fucking arthur lee of love is the is who got them signed to electra i have no idea who that is you, you, the love never the, list the band you know who they are though right do i i forever changes you don't know love no they're one of the most like influential american 60s bands ever never listen to them they're I've talked about love a lot on this podcast. See, he doesn't listen to me. Not a word. Not a word. You know love, dude. You gotta know maybe, love. Maybe if I heard it, I would. But uh Oh, it's crazy. So <laughs> so Forever Changes is one of like the, the one of the best fucking albums that come out of the 60s, and it destroyed the band. Like it, it was that uh that album is like the prime example of don't ever overhype anything because like I'm gonna add it. To they my... went. They went nuts with a uh, promotion. They had billboards. I think they were every like the label was was trying to compare it to like, oh, this is this is America's Sgt. Pepper's, and like it came out and it's just an album full of these really pretty, well written songs. That's not exactly like wild or crazy. Yeah, and everyone's like this blows, and they I think they like destroyed the band. This so sound familiar now. Yeah, uh, it's so sound familiar. It's one of my favorite albums of all time, and it, it, it's pretty. It's pretty beloved. Um, Forever change. There it is. And they also they have a lot. Like they're really good band overall. Um, it's one that we've been asked to, to cover in the past. Um, but yeah, it's crazy that that I didn't know that he he basically got the doors their label. Um, their their label deal. But pretty great. Uh, at the time, Electro was smaller, which is funny mm-hmm. because after the Doors, they were not small anymore. No, no, this is a big band from the the get go, pretty much. Uh. Our boy Tom said that uh, they they chose Electra specifically because it was smaller, mm-hmm. which is so funny to think that they that is a reason Electra was chosen as a label is because they were smaller. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, so we're going to start the uh, I guess one other person to bring up uh, big big person to bring up. Yeah, longtime producer Paul Rothschild, basically the fifth door, so to speak, um, for almost every album. He's the guy who, I mean, he was paramount. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it seems like, look, even if you look at how how crazily Morrison deteriorated, I almost feel that double to Rothschild. In, oh, yeah. in like his methods with the yeah. band, like how much he kept going off in this direction. Like, dude, rein it back, dude. Bring it back in. Like, no, holy shit. He went full Dewey Cox. Kind of. Or Brian Wilson. Kind of. Well, <laughs> Brian Wilson's a crazy man. He's a li- literally mentally ill. That's his excuse. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit. But uh, this is from. From Densmore, he says, uh, the first few days were frustrated because recording wasn't the same as playing live. Rothschild held our hands as we learned the process. I didn't know you couldn't say, I, I didn't know you couldn't have the same sound as on stage. Too live and echoey, Rothschild said. Paul wanted to damp my drum skins and it hindered my technique, but after a while I fell in love with the big snare drum sound it made. Um, a fatter dead drum sound recorded better than a live and hollow one. Uh, so that, that, that kind of alone explains mm-hmm. He's literally teaching them how to record. And from the onset, even, even though we hear the first album and we hear how like live and raw it is, there's still like, you know, a, an actual bass player on there. It's not just oh, yeah. the live band. Yeah. We never would, get the live band on any album. Yeah. They would use studio bass players. Yeah. Like throughout. a number of them and then whole kinds of other, you know, instruments and stuff. So 
I haven't really, I haven't heard any live stuff in the doors. I don't think ever. Neither have I. I'm sure it's a very, very different thing, especially the drunker Morrison got. Yeah, probably not going to seek it out now, but you know, if you hear something cool, let me know <laughs> so I cannot listen to you and then a few podcasts down the line be like, no, I had no, I, I God, had no idea. God, <laughs> fucking, why do I do this? <laughs> uh there's some Andy Warhol stuff where that's that's like a, that's another big long-standing rumor thing where people some people think like I Jim Morrison or got blown by Andy or something I don't know if it was that's actually not the story something like that he went he met Andy Warhol at this thing and it changed everything you know what if you were doing a lot of drugs in the sixties and seventies and you didn't get blown by Andy Warhol what were you doing failing failing uh, I think that's what I think is that where he met Nico. Uh, it sounds right because Nico and Andy Warhol, as we know, yeah, yeah of course, similar, yeah. similar circles. Velvet Underground episode, check that out from a million years ago. Um, yeah, they were banging for for a bit. I'm pretty sure Jim and Nico. Damn, what two beautiful, sexy people! Just oh yeah, it's that's too much. You have to avert your eyes; you'll be blinded by the beauty. There's a reason they both had to go downhill fast because that's just it's too much when did nico die uh i'm not sure it, w- it wasn't like i think immediately co- was it no 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 no. and honestly i have no idea she's i didn't even know she was dead until you said that right now she might be alive she I might sh- be alive i shouldn't have said alive. that nope she died in the 80s 80s all right there so, it is we're not that far off but she was in love with him uh shocker but that basically leads up to to the first album um, it was recorded very quickly. It was a whole new thing. And, uh, well, I guess we, I, I'm surprised we're there already. Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, in there, well, okay. Another huge asterisk that I forgot to, to mention up top. Uh, we are discussing every album with Morrison. Yes. They, both Alex and I didn't even know that they continued for two and a half albums after he died. And I bet you motherfuckers didn't either. Ah, except for the psychos who are huge fans. Yeah. I, we didn't know that, and then we still could have done them because we learned pretty early on. Uh, we will do a loose ends on them because really it would be on. Un- we know that one of those is the worst. Yes, like that's that's not fair. It's a whole different thing, uh, and I think this is the stuff people care about anyway. Yes, I think it would this be funner to talk about them separately, especially as we've loosened our rules on. On this podcast, so. indeed. So, for uh, uh, in total, the albums that we're going to be covering today, there are six. First one came out nineteen sixty-seven. Last one, nineteen seventy-one. A very brief career these guys had. What a whirlwind! Oh, they must have just been recording and touring all the fucking non-stop, time. pretty much. Uh, but yeah, I guess it's time. It's time to go, baby. It's time to go. This is the first album, nineteen sixty-seven, self-titled. No one's ever heard this song before. Not once. And you really hear what year it is in this production. Yeah. It's so thin. Because, yeah, it's like the drums. It's so, like, how important the drums are to the intro of this song. And now they're like, yeah, are drums very important here main course this fade in the background they're buried but that that guitar riff in that chorus is incredible it's just crazy wild arpeggio that is also kind of 
very. It is. It, it's just a lot of distortion. Yeah, yeah. And then one of the honestly one of the best key key solos ever. Yeah. This is really yeah. Even after thirty years of hearing this, I I gotta give it up. Alright, we've all heard it. We all know it. That's a very good solo and a good song. It's actually very good opener. Yeah, yeah. One of the the best openers. I mean, it's called Break On Through to the Like I can't think of a better Yeah. I mean there are, but you know. Yeah, but it is fantastic. And this Such is the tone. a very good album. I don't think it's perfect at all, but this is like what everyone thinks of when they hear the doors or when they think of the doors. <laughs> like this almost every song on here. Probably has the most like people pleasing this, songs. This is the one you on put it. on and everyone knows every song and they're all fine with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um I was kind of taken aback by Soul Kitchen. I was like I was like, I know that's a beloved song, but yeah. uh the, the keyboard playing on there is like pretty very good. It's a, it's very it's very loungy. It's like the sound that made the doors the doors and the very loungy. I keep saying loungy, but it has that jazziness to it, even though it's something else entirely. I honestly I prefer the X version. I actually like X's cover of it more than the original. I, different song. Yeah, basically yeah. a different song entirely. I think that's fair. That's one of the songs where I got like hung up on the lyrics because like I couldn't like like sleeping in a kitchen sounds extremely funny to me. But we just kind of accept this song as normal and say those words. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, sounds uncomfortable, but maybe a soul kitchen has some sort of bed or couch in it that's more comfortable maybe why not it's a soul kitchen it's totally different jesus christ has <laughs> <laughs> fucking dim lighting with lava lamps everywhere hell yeah <laughs> uh the crystal ship even though i don't i i have like semi problem with like a song of that mellow being that close to the beginning mm -hmm. it's fucking gorgeous mm -hmm. uh, it, it's appropriately titled oh yeah 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 so dark so mellow and soft but in, insanely well written and also with this album, with almost every album does, they are really, really good with the diversity. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I, I do mean in in feel because the opener is this hard rocking, hard rocking, good time, high energy, and then Soul Kitchen is this loungy, more jazzy thing, and then Crystal Ship is this beautiful dark. It's a, they all feel so distinct. They do. Um, although I think later on they, they eventually fall into some some trappings, but. For, for a lot longer than I was expecting, there's a lot of diversity. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Light My Fire is the most doorsy song on here. Light My Fire, I mean, it's, it really is one of the best songs ever written, I think. It's jammy. You got a keyboard and a guitar solo. And they're all brilliant. Yeah. And it's a song that has been played to death. It's so fucking dead. I'm so tired of the song and I can't help it. It's one of the best songs ever written. God damn. Like, and I, I, there's like little things about it that I, I can't get tired of. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think it's like the beginning of the first guitar solo where Robbie's doing this fucking it's just really bizarre little lick yeah. that sounds like it shouldn't fit, but it fits beautifully. Mm -hmm. Really interesting choices, and it, it's obviously it's just an incredible song. Do you enjoy uh Alabama song? Because not I, anymore. <laughs> no. What about you? Oh no, I this uh, I thought carnival music, so I was. Like, I know, I know. It's circus caravan gypsy music. Yes. Uh, I'm exhausted. I like the novelty of it. I still appreciate that it's a fucking 
bonkers song to throw in the middle of the mm-hmm. album. I'm so tired of it. I'm ex- that of all the door song songs that I used to like mm-hmm. that I no longer like. That's top of the list. I can't take Number it. Number one. I'm tired that's of it. it. It's a good song. It's fucking weird and kooky, but I, I'm just tired of it. Um, 20th Century Fox is one that I, I learned to love at an older age. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I care for that. Oh, stuff. Love it. I think every section, it kicks more ass than the one before it. Oh, I think it's fucking one of the best. I oh, I love it. I didn't look it up, but uh, do you think Backdoor Man's a, a euphemism for, for butt sex? I thought so until I realized it's a cover. <laughs> it still and could you be. You know what? Sure. It yeah. is. You're yeah. damn right it is. Yeah. Uh, I, Backdoor Man is another one of the huge songs that I'm just not into. Uh, it's very bluesy. It's a good song. I, li- I actually prefer Morrison's performance more than the song itself. Mm-hmm. He's very gruff on that one. And I, I tend to like his gruffness whenever he, he starts shouting and stuff. I think the uh, the back end of this album caught me by surprise. The, How's that? The more like underappreciated songs. Such as? Um, end of the Night. Hell yeah. Uh, that's some of my favorite Robbie guitar playing. On really? That. I think it's one of the weaker in terms of their psychedelic stuff, but I still yeah. think it's, it's a cool song. Yeah. Take uh, It As It Come, Comes, I think is real strong. It's the first hint at the Spanish influence. Yes. And there's some, some bass on there. It's based on the whole album. Yeah, yeah, they, but, um, but it's, I guess, more focused on. Or it's, it pops out more. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rothschild insisted that um, a bass player double over Ray's playing just to give it more you know, bottom, More which oomph. it it's a, yeah, it's a good idea. It basically doesn't matter on this album. It, <laughs> okay, compared to the, the way it sounds later, later mm-hmm. on, you really feel the bass here. You fucking don't really. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, the end is 11 and a half minutes of jammy psych- psychedelic hypnotization that the entire world is familiar with. So I love it. You, uh, you really you love I it. Still, I still like it. Um, I, I realized very early on, I think I like Moody Doors. Oh, better. The, Moody Dark Doors is the best doors. It, it sure. is. It is. Uh, bluesy Doors gets tired, tired some fast that, for me. That is because I hate the blues and I don't think you're fond of the blues as well. It, you, it's very formulaic. I mean, you know what I really, because I thought about like a Jimmy Page or a, a Jack White, um, where I think... It's probably just a lot of boring people, especially in the seventies, gravitated towards it, and then kind of. I think it was no kind of bastardized. It. I think it's the opposite. In the seventies, that was like the the thing. That was the frontier. Is that the right word? That was their noise rock. What we when I mm-hmm. when I think of when I like oh I have noise rock. This thing that's kind of on the outskirts that some people like and a lot of people don't. I think blues was more that back then because um, like a huge influence. I don't know. I could listen to like a Robert Johnson or a Howling Wolf and like that. I feel like I can hear that. That's like, ah, so you don't like Whitey's interpretation of blues. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, there there it is. is. There it is. It's a different thing. But yeah, I don't know. Some, I think some white guys nail it and other white guys, Eric Clapton don't. Uh, so (laughs) you can like old slow hand, old slow hand, uh, well, it's also, really, I mean, Helen Wolf and stuff. That's like, it's just a different thing. What is that? Delta Blues? It's just like way more. Yeah. Like any genre. There's, you know. It, feel, it feels like a different thing. Even though it yeah. is definitely, they're all one hodgepodge stew. Mm-hmm. It's definitely like, there's a lot more, like, I don't know, loneliness to that one. I think mm-hmm. it has like this more um, cowboy feel to it. And I don't mean that because like a literal cowboy, just more like a, like a man with no name wandering the streets kind of thing. Yeah. These like 
these care the blues definitely has characters. these characters yeah. and these like you know kind of like these gunslingers who yeah. are have no one except their their guitar and that's also part of who I, also love butt sex in the case of backdoor man yes and that's part of why i think a, a lot of a lot of these white guys were drawn to it yeah it's 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 actually interesting i just happen to not care for the type of music so much i don't mm-hmm. like the structures and like i don't like to know where it's going which is basically all blues um but there this would be like a shoe in for best for most people it seems like oh yeah yeah, yeah. but goddamn, i will never ever excuse I looked at you. Fucking stinks. It's not good. Oh my God. It's awful. It's basically a shittier version of 20th Century Fox. And then, yeah, more made worse when it's on the same album. Exactly. It feels completely necessary. And that's one thing that happens a lot with these albums because these are all short albums, except for one that's kind of a decent length. Mm -hmm. But this is one of the short albums. And then you hear like the, the kind of throwaway tracks and it's like, oh, wait. They couldn't cut it. There just wasn't long enough. They were yeah. out of songs, yeah. which happens. They literally run out of songs very shortly. Um, but to go back to the end real quick, I think that is my least favorite of their big epic songs. It's fine. It's nice. It's, so, it's relaxing. But I mean, to me, there's two big epic songs and I like both of them. I feel like there's there's four. There's four, four big epic songs. Fuck it. Just say it. Oh, uh, this one, when the music's over, Riders on the Storm, and uh, The Soft Parade. Uh, yeah, but I think the end and Riders of the Storm are obviously... What are you talking about? When the music's over, is also 11 minutes. No. Soft Parade is also 11 minutes. <laughs> I'm not saying those aren't big epics. I, oh, you mean, you, you, in, you terms like of po- in terms of popularity. Oh, pop- yes. When the music's over, is pretty popular. Yeah, it's not as popular as the other two, but I think Soft Parade is like definitely the one that that, yeah. that gets like shoved under the rug, um, which we'll talk more yeah. about, of course. But yeah, I, the end is probably, you know, is in fucking Apocalypse Now. That's it was also sung in The Simpsons. Yes, equal equal merit. Um, not it's not equal merit. I'm kidding. But The Simpsons are probably far more rich than Apocalypse. <laughs> easily, easily, <laughs> and more people care. Uh, what the fuck are we talking about? Anyway, yeah, good album. Obviously, everyone knows these songs. It's very they it, they hold up for the most part. And if you really are an appreciator of this, st- I don't know. You know the fucking doors. There's nothing I can say about. It. I'm not gonna pitch the doors to you. Christ, sorry. <laughs> Let's get real. You live with your parents. You haven't had a date in three and a half years or so, and you're not sour mess. But Manscaped is here to help. Am I? Mostly projecting and speaking for myself. Hey, who's to say? Maybe. Who knows? We're not talking about me right now, okay? Holidays are upon us, so do yourself a favor by going to Manscaped. And if you're a disgruntled lover who wants to deforest your boyfriend or husband's sack jungle, there really is no better gift than Lawnmower 4.0. Seriously, do your little German boy a favor and use the Lawnmower 4.0 to avoid another silent night in the bedroom. Then add in Manscaped's top-of-the-line shower products to have people thinking all I want for Christmas is you. Santa cares about a sack and so should you. Look nice when you get knighted by going to manscaped.com and use code EAE for free shipping and 20% off. I'm a long-time user of Manscaped and I will continue to be one so long as I have any semblance of self-respect left. This isn't just for your significant other. Or this is for your self-worth, your self-confidence. You, you don't dress for the jobs you have. You dress for the jobs you want. Hand, blow, foot, rim. You ain't getting any of them without Manscaped. 
The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. It has everything needed to help you deck the halls from face to balls just in time for mistletoe season. The Platinum Package has each product from the Best Sonic Performance Package plus Ultra Premium Body Wash, Ultra Premium 2-in-1 Shampoo plus Conditioner, and Ultra Premium Deodorant. It's the best way to smell fresh from your Santa hat to your candy cane. I sure hope it doesn't look like a candy cane. Both the Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer and the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. I have really long nose hairs. That's pretty disgusting. They both feature proprietary advanced skin safe technology to protect your delicate presence. Yeah, they 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 do a pretty damn good job too. I mean, honestly. Oh wait, I didn't charge it. Damn. 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 Plus both are waterproof so you can take care of your business in the shower. Don't leave evidence for your poor, poor mother to walk into when she's just trying to forget that her 30-year-old son still lives with her. There's also an LED light on the lawnmower 4.0, which I cannot show you because I killed the battery. Um Shaving my balls. But trimming the hedges is not the only thing you need to worry about, all right? And I think we both know this. It's time to make sure you don't smell like a reindeer with the Platinum Packages shower products. Do reindeer smell like balls? Is that a thing? All of Manscaped's shower gear is sulfate-free, vegan, and made to have your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. But smelling good doesn't stop at the shower. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve stank problems all goddamn day long. Once they touch your sack... You'll never go back. Platinum Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. And for the perfect stocking stuffer, add in the brand new Body Buffer, an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy and a lot cleaner than that old loofah. Get 20% off and free shipping with code EAE at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code EAE. Manscaped, get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. All right, where were we? There's more to talk about. Yes. Are, you, are we ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, it, same year. Yes. This, this is, but they're still fucking energized, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed. They got energy. They're not completely fucking hammered yet. There's still time. This is 1967's Strange Days. Getting chills. Ooh. Ooh. I... Liked this song way more than I remember. This song is one of the best, easily. I agree with that. Oh, I love it so much. We didn't talk about any of the stuff, the history behind the first album, which we will do after this. Oh, because I'm not fucking skipping stuff. Sorry. A lot of effects on Jim's vocals there. You know what? Even if it didn't have vocals, still, still great. Yeah. I think he does elevate it though. God, these fucking riffs. It's so good. Really highlighted the bass too. Yes. That is very slidey. Slidey and it's got that oomph now. Yep. We will listen to the whole goddamn song if if we don't lower it now. There's so much to talk about about the first album that I, I skipped because I we got caught up in the conversation. So I just want to uh, go over just a few quick things before we move on. That's my bad. Um, b- the biggest takeaway out of everything from mm-hmm. from the first album in meeting Rothschild, he rolled an impressive joint. That's 
The man likes drugs. He was. He sure does. Apparently, yeah. he was on parole at the time of producing the first album, <laughs> and he, he served uh, seven months of a two-year sentence for marijuana possession, which he shouldn't have been fucking locked up for anyway. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. Weed is fine. <laughs> Everyone enjoy yourself. Uh, but it was recorded in six days. Like they fucking yeah, they knocked yeah. it out. That seems about right for like this era. Uh, it, it is, and it's also interesting because you, you it's one or the other. It's either we did it in 20 minutes or we took three years. Yes. It, it, was, a, it was an era of extremes in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously the record blew up like insanely. Yes. It really, really blew up. Um, they were actually doing the whole guerrilla radio thing where they would call in and request their own songs mm-hmm. or have their friends and families call in. Yeah. Uh, what happened? Uh, Densmore, Densmore was doing this for a, a long time with, he was calling KRLA, KRLA. Uh, and he says, I, he says, one day I called the KRLA request line for what was probably the 40th time. I said, I was Fred Schwartz from West Covina. And they said, we know who you are. And if you don't stop calling, we'll pull the record, <laughs> which is the fucking greatest. Like you get the fucking drummer bothering you so much. Yeah. <laughs> also, I, I just like, uh, you know, a little shout out for the, the more East, East parts of of Los Angeles. Yeah, West Covina. That's where I was born. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also, I uh, found out uh, the fuck, I forget his real name, but Tommy from the Power Rangers. Oh, yeah. He passed away recently at time of recording. Very recently, yeah. Yeah, he was, he's from Covina, too. Really? So, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Child stars, dude. I mean, he was like a teenage star or whatever. Yeah. Doomed. They're doomed. Even if they get all jacked and start doing MMA like he did. Mm. There's, a, there's always like a fucking weird curse. You can't, you can't outrun it. It's like, uh, it's like watching the ring. It is like watching the ring, man. Macaulay Culkin. I don't know what kind of black magic here. He had that Jackson black magic, dude. Mm, mm, mm. Mm -mm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I never, you know, I never saw the American version of the ring. I only saw Ringu. Oh yeah. That's fine. I mean, I know it's the version to watch. It's a better movie, but, but. Um, the fact that I never once came across the actual, the American, the ring seems a little odd. I don't know how I, I dodged that one. I was, uh, too much of a purist to, uh, to do that. So ringers ringer Ringu is incredible. Yeah, it is. It's not just a, a spooky movie. It is like a, a really fucking well done detective movie. Yeah. Because this podcast is going to be long enough, I recently watched Audition for the first time. Oh, fuck that. I, I've always refused. I've always refused. Not as bad as I thought it was going to really? be. Really? Well, in terms of, of gore. gore and stuff. Yeah, that's one of the ones you are like, oh, you don't need to watch Audition. Oh, it's very yeah. I I would say most of the movie feels like you're watching a soap opera until the end. Those creep me out more. It might creep you out more then. Yeah. yeah, where it's like, this is just like a weirdly strange, not that great movie, and then it gets all fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are, that's creepy. That's a weird. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's I, Audition. Anyway, uh, Strange Days, best personal favorite. <laughs> best personal favorite. Yeah. Hell yeah. And this is not uh, like he highly debated. I have a lot of like, I, I really disagree with the world about this band, except for this album. This album. Yes. This is the one album I would. Uh, well, I can't even because I owned. I think I owned all the albums when I was younger, but uh, I would I would repurchase this as an adult now. Like. <laughs> It's really that good. And I, again, I still don't think it's perfect, but it's basically, it's a, it's the closest they'll ever get. It is a, an incredible album. It's one of the best of the era and it is their darkest. It is. Mm-hmm. Oh, 
And them dark is pretty, pretty phenomenal. Yeah. And it's, uh, I think there's a quote about it where it's like, it's not full blown psychedelia, but it's, it's very surreal. Yeah. Um, and like I, the album cover looks wacky. Yep. And there's not, I wouldn't call the songs on here wacky, but they, no, yeah, no, there's no, there's no Alabama song on here. And man, so obviously we heard the title track a long time ago at this point. Cause I started talking about the first album uh, and I started talking about audition. That's true. And, and Ringu, but God damn, it's a great, it's a great uh, setup for the album. Cause it's like, Oh, we hear it as the doors of as what we recognize the style. It feels, it feels just like them, but it is darker. It is heavier. It is. I feel leaner. like, I, f- I feel like they're doing interesting things but they're still being playful on here. Yep. Um, it's almost, almost perfect. I don't really have to like pretty much start to finish. I, there's not a track where I'm like, this is bad. I have one and that is unhappy girl. Mm. And it's, it, it's not even that bad of a song. It's not, it's less, it's less than two minutes. It's gone immediately, I, but they do this thing. They do it a lot in their career. They're a big fan of, uh, modulating uh on a, a major second which mm-hmm. is a, a whole step on a keyboard or whatever instrument it's just a full step so they'll do one riff and they'll do the same riff a half a whole step down and that drives me fucking crazy it's it it's just predictable and annoying to me and i've always hated just that interval that mm-hmm. a major second i just fucking don't like it uh for normal people, though. For normal people, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure you'll like it just fine. Yeah, I, uh, I like the riffs on that song. Yeah, that's it's the only thing I have, like, even it's a semi-problem. And even then, it, like, its inclusion on the album doesn't even bother me as much as it did when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, everything else, dude. It's so crazy how even a song like Love Me Two Times, which <sighs> is like, you throw that on a Greatest Hits album, like all the doors greatest hits kind of sound like they could come from one album yeah but in the context of this album at this it works better it rules on this album yeah because first of all uh, i want to gush about love me two times for sure but your lost little girl i think is their most underrated song i agree i, I yeah i agree with that i can't actually. believe it's not been blown up everywhere like i like the first time i heard wasn't I mean, it was years ago but mm-hmm. when it was on this album only and i was like why why have not heard this song Mm -hmm. it's incredible it is dark and it is beautifully subtle uh and but it thinks it's dark in a way that is not like the title track Mm -hmm. where the title track was dark and like and kind of uh, frantic and a little a little bit on the the gypsier side Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term the lost little girl is i don't know almost sad it's a different kind of dark it's it's a different feel entirely there is like uh a, a sadness to this album too and i i think like the lyrics kind of reflect that too but never it's never it's never like overbearing like joy division or the no, no 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 it's never like depressing nothing here yeah, is depressing yeah. but to go back to let me do t- two times that is another like man i think that is my favorite densmore performance mm-hmm. the drums in that song i like I've I've fully memorized them. Like I, it's like it's burned into my brain the same way the drums to Tourniquet by Baroness are burned into my head. Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with the choices that he made on that song. Um, I think it's just it's just perfect. But like the fact that that song hits that hard and it's like a 
it's a really good rock and roll song that doesn't feel like rock and roll. Yeah. Following these two dark ass songs. It's, it's just the divert, like it's the, 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 you know, early on, the diversity on some of these albums is just perfect. The pacing is like, oh, they knew exactly how to sequence these songs. It's also crazy to me how this was like a jam band and most of the songs on here are pretty short. Like they're all gone in an instant until you get to the, the closer. Which is probably part of the charm of it. Yeah, it's because I certainly would not mind hearing like jammy versions of these songs, but erring on the side of caution, I rather have (laughs) I rather have them be shorter. It's it feels like they didn't they weren't asking for like the songs didn't Mm -hmm. call for that. So there's Mm -hmm. they didn't it just didn't happen. You know, uh, this whole album does feel very natural in that sense. Um, One thing that I I, again, I've never heard anybody bring it up, especially not put it on in conversation or in in pleasant company is horse latitudes, which is so fucking cool. Yeah. It is like their only truly experimental, scary song. Uh, Well, I think they have some creepy riffs. Some creepy, but the thing is that's not even a song. It's just like a fucking piece of shit. And I do mean (laughs) that in in the best possible way. It is actually scary. It's super chaotic. It's really crazy. Mm -hmm. Jim is fucking screaming all over it. It's it's just fucking, it's a, and what makes it even better is that immediately after is Moonlight Drive and all of a sudden it's this really cheery, happy, kind of like almost driving song. Uh, it bothers me because I've said this about another song, but, uh, if Moonlight Drive was not an inspiration for the Ghostbusters score, I'm going to be very, we got to ask Ray Parker Jr. Dude. Well, you know, uh, I don't know where episodes come out anymore, but as we've maybe have discussed the scores and soundtracks, scores and soundtracks, two different things. So, uh, hold on. Yeah, Moonlight Moonlight Drive uh, sounds like it could uh, be on the Ghostbusters score. You're not wrong. It does, and it it does feel very happy. Yeah, <laughs> it's just so weirdly happy following Horse Latitude. I think is it's good for pacing. Um, also, because I already bought up uh, wrestlers earlier, I'd be remiss not to bring up uh, a man who has many names, but is most famously John Morrison, who picked that name because he kind of looks like. Jim Morrison. Really? And a lot of his finishers are like Moonlight Drive. Ah, uh, um, interesting. And he calls himself the shaman of sexy. Ah, yeah. yeah. So wearing his uh his love on his sleeve, clearly. Yes. Yes. Uh People Are Strange is another one of the giant songs off this album. Um, it was like a, a huge favorite when I was like a small child. Yeah. I was obsessed with that song. It's, uh, a, it's a good song. It's a great but, song. A good single to like bring people into the to the album for I sure think. it's a it's beautifully strange and i honestly really do love those old piano keys mm-hmm. where it sounds like it's from an old saloon i, I think they sound yeah. great on there it's it's very fun and it's all it's it's just well written is really well written um the the last chunk i think is interesting because i think it, it also highlights why i think this is such an exceptional album is because uh my eyes have seen you feels like it should it's like it is the equivalent of a flyover song on this album it is. and it's still good it's still yeah it's one of those songs where the the instant it's over you're like i can't believe that's over i need to like play it back it's great it's yeah. it's like what seems like a, just a regular rock and roll song just 
better. It's like <laughs> a really fine tuned version of like something pull up the first album. It, I think that's uh, that's a good summary of this album. Seems like a regular rock and roll album, but better. Full of so much character. Yeah. Like these, it, it, there's that's this is why they're special. Like you hear, it's mm-hmm. like oh they were they were their own thing. No one could do this again. No one could do this again. They they made this whole truly unique thing. No one can do mm-hmm. it again or no one can do it like this again. Um, I can't see your face in my mind um, is more. I think it's more interesting texturally than I, than I think it is as a song. Yeah. The opening actually made me think of a more electronic bands like YMO or something. Yeah. Those, those keys are very, very synthy or um, electronic. Imagine Ray Manzarek and like Kraftwerk or something. That would be rad. Hell yeah. <laughs> be a very, just a full solos in the middle of robots. <laughs> Dude, I'm for it with, a. uh, uh with uh the ELO guy overseeing it all i can't why can't i think of his name oh jeff lynn with jeff lynn hell yeah dude doing robot vocals or something hell yeah <laughs> uh so the when the music's over is another uh is the closer it's another 11 minute epic out of all of their their big epic closers mm-hmm. i think this one is actually the most organic and natural sounding out of all of them uh, this one, I feel like, does something the others don't, where it gets unhinged and crazy. It it's wonderfully done. I think yeah. it, it actually does nail the the effort of like we're gonna make this big, long, epic, crazy thing. I think it does it actually better than all, it's not my favorite of all of them, but I think it does it the best. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels so so perfectly like I don't know. It's it's a perfect closer, really. Yeah, I didn't really think about out of the four how I would personally rank them i think i i like all of them for yeah, sure but yeah. uh not not quite sure but yeah was really surprised and taken aback by by this album so i'm i'm glad that it's still this good after all this time and that i can still see why there people became obsessed with them mm-hmm. it just makes sense that this was truly a a unique thing that that I, feels great i will say it feels like most people are obsessed with like the bluesies doors though. <laughs> yeah. But when they, when they think of the doors, they think of the style, they think of that personality of like those keys and mm-hmm. those weird guitar riffs. And then obviously Morrison's voice, mm-hmm. like I'm maybe like the bluesier stuff, uh, the individual songs people might remember more, but I think they like this personality, this actual character Pro- of the songs more. Probably also, uh, different parts of the country, different parts of the world probably gravitate to different, different styles for sure. of the doors. Like, yeah. I, and I was mentioning like East LA, they, you know, they're obsessed with the doors, but it's basically just the first album. Yeah. Yeah. It's mostly that album that they're obsessed with. Not so much like, again, I, you hear the hits off this one, but you don't hear the stuff in between. Mm-hmm. That's really what makes it incredible. Like I can see people in Texas being a fan of a certain record later on. Oh, where, yeah. indeed. Indeed. Uh, so some of the backstory behind this album, they're all, all these albums are really interesting kind of to talk about. So this one took longer to record than the first album. I don't know. I don't, I don't think it was that much longer, but it was longer because they were fucking around with more overdubs. Um, What is it? Um, I think Paul Rothschild brought in, uh, Paul Beaver, uh, he's basically the expert programmer of of Moog synthesizers, which were pretty new at the time. Mm-hmm. So they they did that stuff to to Jim's voice on on Strange Days, the the title track, uh, <clears throat> and they did some like you know reverse stuff. They did a lot of you know a lot of post stuff. Going back to your question, 
recorded during tour breaks between May and August of 67. So that is, that's significantly longer than the six days or however long. And it's not as linear if it was like, okay, we got a break. We're going to record tour. Yeah. Break. Way more in segments. Yeah. I didn't know it was that disjointed, but interesting. Um, the We're talking about the, when the music's over. How, how I said it was like the most organic, natural sounding. And then the recording of it was totally not that, which I find <laughs> fucking interesting. So uh, our boy Tom says, uh, the recording of when the music's over was almost ruined, according to Densmore, when Morrison didn't show up on the night they were meant to record. Because the song was 10 minutes long, Morrison would be improvising all over it. So they needed him there because when they every time they played it, he improvises. He he jumps in whenever it feels right or whatever. Mm-hmm. And without him there, they have to record the entire thing, just kind of guessing where he was going to sing, yeah. which is a recipe for disaster. And it worked. <laughs> it fucking worked. Somehow captured the madness. Weirdly, uh, Densmore says, fortunately, we'd done this song so many times in person, so we could pretty much estimate where the poems would be. Finally, the next day, Jim showed and recorded his part for When the Music's Over. It worked perfectly, thank God. I couldn't imagine Jim not showing for a vocal, especially a song of his own and one I knew was important to him. Uh, my violin jabs on the cymbal were a little late, but they answered the what have they done to the, to the earth section as I, as I had intended. It was as if Jim and I were having a dialogue. Ooh, very deep. <clears throat> very deep. Uh, so how good did this album do it, not as well as their first album but uh, damn shame yes. but still well yeah i think instead of coming in at number one it came in at number four what a what a tragedy yeah i know <laughs> oh. uh I, I one thing on the cover that i didn't even know was there until until reading this was uh the poster there's on in the background on the window is a poster of the doors yeah and that's where you see the name of the band it's like just way in the background yeah i had no idea it was even there it's neat it's a very busy album cover so that's a cool little easter egg yeah. to get in there it's a great album cover too it's like it is by far the most interesting out of all of them it's the only one that kind of looks well they all look different but that one is the only one that's like for one it doesn't have them on the cover mm-hmm. and it's also like a it feels way more conceptual um like a, a PG rated Jodorowsky film. Yeah. Oh man. I've been wanting to watch weird 70 sci-fi movies lately. I've been, I've been, I've been, uh, of course the fucking algorithm found me and, and attacked me, uh, with AI art that looks like screenshots from old 70s sci-fi movies that never existed. That's insane. Oh, I am obsessed, dude. Yeah. It's like, so the first one I found, I was like, this is incredible. I want, where is this? And I want to, I want to, I got to find this. And I, there was like a name or like a title of the show, quote unquote, in the description. I Googled it and nothing came up. I was like, what the yeah. fuck? And then I kept reading. It was like a synopsis of this show. And then I went to the comments like, oh, this guy is doing a meta thing. It's not a real show. <laughs> this fucking asshole just got my hopes up. And everyone in the comments like, I can't believe this isn't real. This suck. I, I wish it was real. Yeah. But wild stuff like that. AI art, the AI art is getting fucking creepy. Out of control. It is, it's looking real. Something you can watch, although I feel like you're more interested in listening to it. Uh, what's that Italian composer you like? Uh, uh, Nina Rota? Yeah. I uh, saw Criterion Collections coming out with a remaster version of uh, Romeo and Juliet that Ooh. wrote uh, the score for. Interesting. Yeah. So okay. that, that okay. 
saw I saw that and like one of the first things they brought up was the soundtrack, of course. Hell yeah. And I thought of Mike. Nina Rota, man. That yeah. dude is the fucking man. Yeah. Check out last week's fucking soundtracks episode if you haven't heard it. Two of his soundtracks were on my list. Uh yeah. So uh excited to hear what Mike thinks of the the nineteen fifties version of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, it's got to be at least somewhat good. It's got yeah, to be. Yeah, there's no way it's not. So Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this album did well. It's fucking great. It's awesome. Everyone loves it. I think it's widely regarded as the best, as it should. Um, I almost wish I I, I could have said something different, but it is it is the best. It is what made them special, and it's fucking dark. Mm-hmm. Ah, good stuff. But we have a few more. More than a few more. We have a lot more so you ready i'm i'm ready okay this is 1968 waiting for the sun this almost feels regressive sure does i think it's i think this song is one of the most overrated hits um yeah, when I was younger, this was my favorite album. Really? Yeah. At least, you know what? It's fuzzy. The fuzziness is cool. Yeah. It is still a cool song. I just think it's, you know, a, a letdown compared to the last two. Yeah, I've, I've heard things that I can't, I can't go back to this. Okay. All right. Yeah, we know how that song goes. Um, so this is the album that basically destroyed the band. <laughs> yeah. This early Mar- on. <laughs> Marston was like full-blown alcoholic here. Yeah. And I was surprised it was this album because I still think this is like pretty unique. It is a unique. It is a good album. I think it's a I think it's a wild step down. I don't I still think it's a good album, but holy shit. In terms of consistency, this one takes a shit on itself compared to the last two. Um, Obviously, still got like a good chunk of their best songs are on here, mm-hmm. uh, but, but it's a little a little hair miss. Yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of like really solid songs on here for me. Like, um, not to touch the earth. It's oh, just fuck yeah, dude! Fucking killer, underrated song of theirs. That one, that one probably would have fit fit in on Strange Days, even though I wouldn't change Strange mm-hmm. Strange Days at all. Um, but it, yeah, it is. Man, that that's when it was like their dark songs are just unmatched. Yeah, like, that shit is. Really, really, really fantastic keyboard sounds on that one. It's ugly and spooky and then really heavy. Mm -hmm. For some of the misses, I feel like they were trying to do something with Summer's Almost Gone and then Wintertime Love. I hate them both. Yeah, Wintertime Love is just a boring version of Golden Brown by the Stranglers. Interesting. To me. To me, at least. I'm not a huge fan of it at all. It's whimsical, romantic, but ultimately, like, there's a couple interesting, like, classical Baroque moments Mm -hmm. in there, but overall, uh, not for me. I also think uh, Love Street stinks, and I have no idea why it's so popular. And that's a popular... <laughs> yeah, it's not good. I I really hate it. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm there with you. It's, uh... Yeah, I think... Yeah, it's it's fair to call it uneven, but, like, 
I don't know. The strong songs. The strong songs are pretty goddamn strong. Like, oh man, Spanish Caravan. Yeah, just needs no explanation. Yeah, it's it's that good. It's that good, and it's also like we didn't really mention it, but Robbie is like a he plays with his fingers. He's like a Mm -hmm. finger plucker, and we we never hear it until that song. Like, oh, he's a fucking phenomenal finger picker. Should have done it more often. (laughs) Really, and then you know it's it's. Very well done and very Spanish, but when it goes synthy and electronic and, gets, and waltzy, yeah, oh. also gets fuzzy too. Yep. Like it's it's really one of their absolute best. Uh, Fucking it, incredible. On paper, it's ambitious, but it's it's like real um, effortless. The way it feels is very smooth. Uh, early, it goes down very smooth. Cause you're so small. <laughs> I need your impression to get further and further from Rob Thomas every nah, time you do. Nah, nah, <laughs> The Unknown Soldier. Uh, uh, you don't like it? No, I I will say I'm glad they did like the military snare roll in the middle there. And I do, cool section. I do like the outro. It it's, is very, the latter half I think is much stronger. That song gets an A for effort, but it's ultimately the doors. <laughs> I like it. I think it's a strong track. I don't so much love the the weird the weirdly cheery first chunk mm-hmm. but as soon as like the the military stuff comes in and the, the second half it's pretty rad mm-hmm. um on paper what my wild love should bore me and i love it i dig it it's, it's yeah good yeah if you know you're gonna call yourself a shaman and be influenced by native american people i mean i, I thought that was more field haulers that was like, uh, it's a field hauler song i i thought of like Native American. Maybe it's both. I mean, I, maybe it's I'm, one or the other. I don't. I don't know. That's out of my. Uh, I'm sure. I'm certain yeah. there, there's no way it's not at least influenced by Field Hall just because yeah, they're yeah. blues band or heavily blues band. And then all of a sudden you do hear like the the the, the well, you know, Jim Morrison and his shaman, the his shaman the, mis- the mystical parts. Yes, it's so fucking good. It just and it feels really morbid, mm-hmm. even though it's still like you know they're they're all chanting and they're all singing together and it's there's no um. Instruments, it's just all acapella mm-hmm. um, with some percussion. Uh, it feels morbid, and it, it, I don't know. It's re- and it's the only song they have like that in yeah. the entire discography. Um, it's crazy to me that like five to one is like not up there with like their other big hits. I thought I thought it was. I know it's I mean, popular. It is popular, but I feel like I feel like hip hop culture kind of made it more popular really who samples it um fuck i don't know the producer i sadly might have been kanye i know it's <laughs> on a jay-z song and yeah i just love how dirty and gritty it is fantastic uh, i love it and yeah i inter- love jim's voice on that one yeah interesting to put it towards the end and i be- think yeah because we've been talking about movies in the whatever the most recent r- rambo movie is at the time of recording this probably six or five i don't know what we're on he kills a bunch of people to the song it's uh, the best part of the movie that is such a far cry from first blood <laughs> where five to one is playing and he's just murdering a bunch of people god damn what happened to those movies it's a movie about ptsd and real emotions and and humanizing veterans and then it turned into gi r-rated gi jokes pretty much yeah, that first movie is whoever hasn't seen First Blood. It's an incredible movie and legitimately good, and yeah. really like fucked up. Like, damn, that's. I think he he may he kills zero to two people. Yeah, yeah, 
And then by the time we get to like five, the body counts. It's like thousands. <laughs> also, I uh, heard, I think it was a comedian mentioned, I think it might've been Big Jokerson, um, who, who recently said, uh, if you, if you go back and watch First Blood, they, the level at which they're mean to him in the first like 30 minutes is just so stupid and ridiculous. It, yeah. It's so unrealistic and comical. Like uh. who is that mean to someone for no reason? It's, it's crazy. They don't respect. Uh, they don't respect the vets, man. It's not even that. It's like I'm gonna make this guy's life hell, and I've never seen him before. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, oh yeah. So last little underrated gem, I think, is yes, the river knows. I don't love that, but at least it's jazzy instead of bluesy. It is jazzy. It's driven by piano, which is actually weirdly rare that we hear just a straight piano. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's majestic sounding. It's beautiful. I think it's a very uh, so was it soft spoken mm. in terms of what it does? Like a like a stallion in the field. It is minding its own business, gracefully galloping. Uh, so there's some wild quotes here. This is uh, uh yeah. So at this time, they're the biggest band in the world or America, whatever. Mm-hmm. The huge band, and uh, there's a needless to say, there is a lot of pressure to make this album great, which we just explained how it's not that great. <laughs> it's good songs, but, and, and the reason that I think it's this inconsistent, they straight up fucking ran out of songs. They had nothing else to put out and they were only, they were touring and Jim was a mess. So they just didn't have anything full, left. Yeah. Full blown out. Like, yeah. Uh, according to, to Stephen Davis here, he says that, um, he he alienated almost everyone with whom he came in contact. Uh, disgraced himself in public. He got blackmailed by street hustlers. Uh, he ruined concerts with drunken antics, dooming his band and wrecking his career as a rock star. It was the best he could do. It was probably the best he could do under the circumstances. To be fair, he was like twenty four, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah twenty three. Yeah, I guess. But also, woof! What a what a nosedive, dude. Dude, yeah. And then uh, try to. Well, we'll get to it, but yeah, try to like quit the band too. This is where it gets pretty fucked up. Like, so, uh, one interesting about, uh, interesting thing is that they, I think, yeah, it was Rothschild who wanted Hello, I Love You as a, as the, as a single. He, he needed that to be, we need it to be a hit. Yeah. He, he suggested like changing some of like the rhythm stuff, uh, or changing one of the beats to, to sound more like sunshine every love, uh, recovered cream, by the way, check that out. Um, and that's one of the few cream songs that is good. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> we don't love cream here, but, uh, uh, Densmore says, uh, I like the lyrics very much, but the new arrangement seemed contrived when it climbed to number one. I was baffled. Hey, you and me both brother. Yeah. <laughs> Holy but, shit. You know, kept, kept the lights on, kept the lights on. Oh, and this is, so this is also where, Rothschild, this kind of goes micromanaging too many takes. He fucking made things difficult. This is the beginning of him making shit difficult. Uh, so it's a, uh, our, our boy Tom said, while the first two albums were put together very quickly, Rothschild made the band go over, uh, every detail again and again, making it technically clean and distinct, but taking away excitement in the performances, which to say the least, that is what he did. Yeah, that's that's fair assessment of what's going on on this album. Uh, for the, the Unknown Soldier, uh, so they, they did it in, in halves because, you know, the whole break in the middle, they did they recorded in halves. They did 
what, what like 59 takes on, of the first half unless you're uh talk talk don't don't do that don't yeah even talk talk that's a weirdly specific <laughs> case but that's basically what they did like they spent two and a half hour or two hours trying to get the gunshot that's in the middle of the unknown soldier which is like it's a gunshot what is there to, yeah. yeah i mean what would we not would we know the difference if you swapped it out with any of the other takes yeah i don't think so probably not uh, around this time, Morrison was hanging around uh, with some uh, some no good nicks and bringing them around the studio. Of course he was. Of course, that's what they do. Uh, and Densmore uh, was was fucking done. He lost it. He's like, I'm done. I'm quitting the band. And uh, one of the things that, that drove him to it that, that made him think about it is the thing that Rothschild said that is so goddamn prophetic and and kind of creepy. Um, it's I would say downright like scumbag behavior if it well the fact that he didn't offer help so that's it, what yeah. yeah so this is what this is what happened um uh dentamore is 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 really really bitter because the thing that they love that he loved doing is now turning to you know junkies everywhere and there's all this pressure and doing a million takes and it's like what the fuck is this so uh Densmore says i told paul Ro- paul rothschild i was quitting he sat me down and told me i was in one of the most envied and respected groups in the world i kept thinking of what paul had said about jim a few nights before after one of his binges he told ray robbie and me that we were witnessing a special psychological experience and we should get as much tape on jim as fast as possible because he didn't think he was going to be around long now did he nail it or did he nail it he nailed it and the reason it's scumbag behavior is because like if you genuinely feel that way about someone and you don't confront them about it that is it, 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 well there's one way to look at it there's one other way to look at it and it's that he well he's not going to listen to me he's doing his thing and, and, and to be fair that is a common thing with especially someone that I, young going that off the deep end i i think it's this, like he's making money off of him too i that is one way i don't think that's entirely it. and i think that's just that's just a perspective i think it could also be because i've known plenty of people who are young and that are in that world and you are not pulling them out of it unless they they want to come out of it so there, there could be like hey this guy's my paycheck but also does he want him to die i don't think he wants him to die that's his paycheck that's his paycheck but i'll uh, no, I, I don't. I truly think that he didn't believe he had any power to change the situation, and I think that not just because of you know whatever hunch, but also because of the way the the band members responded to all this. They were like, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, just try and talk him down. I mean, I don't know. Like it, he's just gonna do what he's gonna do. If it, if this sounds like such a a crazy like thing to be a part of, it is, but it's also. The 60s. It's the 60s. It is the 60s. Uh, so one day, Densmore snaps. He throws his sticks down. He's like, I'm fucking done. And he quickly comes back uh, on what was supposed to be in this album, but ultimately didn't get finished in time is a celebration of the lizard, which is a big old giant poem. Um, that's it's out there. There's like recordings of like the poem version. I don't know if there's music mm-hmm. behind it or not. I haven't heard it. Um, or at least it's been many years since I've heard it. But it wasn't ready in time. And Morrison was pretty bummed out about that. Uh, but they, I think they printed it on the on the sleeve or, or something. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was on like the gatefold 
Um, they printed the entire the entire poem. This is also around the time Morrison tried to quit because, and this is this ties in a little bit more of your perspective of like this dude is falling apart. He needs help, mm-hmm. and no one helped. Uh, so Jim kind of snapped. It was uh, July nineteen sixty eight. He's uh, apparently um, he said to Ray, uh, "I think I'm having a nervous breakdown." And then Ray was like, oh, "No, no, you're not. You're drinking too much. It's starting to get to you." And he's like, "No, dude." I'm having a nervous breakdown and I want to quit. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, Ray just fucking talked him down. He's like, I, I love you. Like you're, you're good. You're great. Everyone loves you. Just no, just, just, just chill. Uh, uh, how about just stick with us for six months, just six mm-hmm. months. And if you still feel the same, we'll break up. Yeah. All right. Just, just, just hang out. They sent them home for like a few days. Like just, just fucking like, just take your mind off it. Just, just, just cool off. And he was like, I, 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 I don't, I don't, and he's like wandered off, like mumbling and like, I don't feel good. How Yeah. Like that's like, yeah. All the drugs, by the way, our fucking boy, Tom put a giant picture of, uh, Mr. Mackey from <laughs> South Park saying drugs are bad. Uh, yeah. The dude was strung out, needed help and no one had any idea what to do. No, no. Also. Yeah. Uh, you know, mental health wasn't really talked about not at all interventions are like gay like they might as well be gay like you don't talk about that uh, amongst people in the 60s like it's just everything everything was taboo you can't Mm -hmm. do anything uh and you think about his fucking childhood shit and his weird family stuff and his drugs and his man this dude was not long for this world oh my god god damn so yeah this is the album that basically broke them um mentally and they were after everything after this is just hanging on by threads kind of amazing there's three albums after this insane that there's three albums after this oh my should god should be one at, at best. really <laughs> but we have some more and this this is here we go baby this is the, the summer of love baby july 18th 1969 holy shit nice. L- literally the summer of love this is uh yeah the soft parade Dang, those production values got real loud. Real loud. Uh, I hate this fucking song. I did too. It grew on me. It is... The way the trick to it is to forget who you're listening to. Mike, you you can get Mike to listen to church church music. Yep. Not going to fly with me. Oh, I don't mind this. It is for sure inferior, but I don't think it's that bad. Back, I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's great. <laughs> oh. So, uh, man, the horns, the fucking big production, it feels out of place. It doesn't, it's wonky. Like, it feels like they shoehorn the horns into the song. It does. I'm not opposed to the horns. Neither am I. Neither am I. This part. Your life's complete. Follow me down. Uh, so it is by it is a surprisingly weak opener, even though I do like the song. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where my beef with the world comes in. This was a hair away from being personal favorite. Oh shit! I think really? this is the, one of the most underrated albums. I can't believe how much it gets shat on to this day. Mm-hmm. That people call this their, their worst album. It's, it's insane. definitely not. Absolutely not. This is a fucking great. There's things I don't you, like on here. But sure, yeah. sure. It is 
so close to being my personal favorite. I, I was so close, but I just love Strange Days so much. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't talk. But this is right up there, dude. I really like this album. God, <laughs> God damn. Because for one, the reason why it was so negatively received when it came out, it doesn't sound like The Doors. Boo fucking who? They're trying something different. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I get why that would that would um initially upset like fans, but listen to it a few times. And if you can't appreciate the actual writing on here, like Touch Me is one of the, their biggest songs, and it's like a wimpy pop rock ballad. It is so beautifully written. I was gonna say, of all the hits, I think Touch Me is like my favorite. It's so good. It's I, I could have sworn Tom Jones covered that fucking song. Uh, did he not? He did not. But he also has a song called Touch Me completely unrelated. Ah, I bet it's not as good. It's probably I was scared to listen to it. But like it sounds like a fucking Tom Jones Do, song. Sure does. And that's so I was saying like the, the horns fell out of place on Tell the People. On um, Touch Me, they fucking nailed it. That's what I feel like a lot of this album where it's like they were people were mad about like the inclusion like oh they're they're trying to follow the Beatles or the birds. I don't I don't hear that at all. I don't I don't hear it either. But it's like oh it's definitely a more of the times thing where they, they try to you know horns were very in at the moment, uh, but they feel completely at home with with a lot of stuff here, and even the sexy sax solo in Touch Me, goddamn, does it work? It's this. It's this. Uh, the kids say it's a bop. It's a bop. Uh, Shaman's Blues, I fucking love it. Based on title, I thought I was going to hate it. Yep. Uh, it's more weird than it is bluesy, so it works for me. It is not that bluesy. It's no. actually really heavy. It's very cool. Yeah. Um, really interesting main riff. Uh, Do I, It is a song that sounds like nothing they've done before. It's just interesting. I, like, this is so different. I hate Do It and Easy Rider. I Or Easy Ride. Or, I, yeah, I, whatever. Yeah, Easy Ride is, is the only song yeah. I think that I genuinely don't like um, i'm fine with do it. i don't think it's amazing but easy ride is pretty awful it's like circus rock and roll mm -hmm. and here's this how much that song doesn't do it for me even even the ragtime guitars don't do it for me i love me some ragtime this guy loves fucking ragtime i fucking love it but it's it's a fun song but other than that i don't care much for it and then i think one of the fucking wildest and good or bad depending on your taste songs they've ever done running blue dude it, nice, nice misdirect though because people are gonna think you're saying wild child because you said wild running blue dude now running blue there's fucking hoedowns yep there's fiddles there's it goes soulful it's goofy it's there's, bluegrass there's horns there's a and that's the only song we ever hear robbie singing and oh, he yeah, sounds yeah. bad he doesn't sound very good but I can't help but love a song that wild. It's that, just so it's, insane. It's fucking ambitious. Oh, it's we're going to do it all, baby. We're going to try every. And by the way, this is basically Robbie's album. Mm -hmm. the, there's still, oh, yeah, they do say that because Morrison's is kind of checked out. He's and, checked yeah. out. He's getting fat. Um, he's got he's got the beard and he still writes on half the songs. Um, a lot of his lyrics are here. They, they co-wrote. Um, I forget which song they co-wrote. I'll, I'll I, find it in a second. I do like that. Uh. Val Kilmer played Jim Morrison and he himself has gotten rounder. He's gotten a lot, almost worse looking. He's well, definitely he has, worse looking. Well, yeah, he has a, uh, a lot of problems. Uh, yes. Health problems. Yeah. But even before that. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Kind of beautiful how he just turned into Jim Morrison. In a way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Do it is a song that they both they both wrote together. But uh Musically, this is basically Robbie's album. Uh, 
so re- another reason why I like this album so much is like is you could hear how much how creative this dude was and how much he actually wanted to do with the band and when left to his devices like fuck it I'm writing all the songs they're gonna be fucking crazy and they're all gonna be very very distinct this is such a super diverse and interesting album the only song I like love on here is the title track it is we will get into yeah, the title yeah. we could spend a while on title yeah, track we'll get um, before we get there uh wild child is basically uh, a weaker five to one i feel like yeah it's not it's not good there's definitely some some energy missing behind that song. i like it i think it's a good song it's just if you're comparing the two five to one is on un, un, you know can't touch that one um wishful sinful i think is so goddamn underrated i think it's extremely ahead of its time um the way it's written it does feel like completely removed from the 60s like it, mm-hmm. it sounds way more I'm 90s ha- i guess i'm gonna have to give that one a re-listen with mike's perspective on it it is it is a difference so you 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 put that song on a 90s album you think it fits in mm-hmm. um and the string arrangements are really well done it, it's beautifully written song uh but now the title track of all of their big epic songs this is by far the most interesting i think uh yeah you're probably right you're probably right it is the only because all, all the others uh they have like an idea and then they they jam a little bit and there's like ups and downs this is an 11 minute constructed song we're yeah. gonna go to this section and we're gonna go to this section and we're gonna it's like the only song they've ever done that big with with that arrangement there are parts on here that are like damn near disco yep but there's, but it's so cool yeah. how they do it yeah there's spoken word stuff. Yeah. Like this is such a going back to your point. This is like the best buffet ever where the other ones are like five course meals, but they're all like one type of food. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the, so the intro is like, you know, the, the acapella preacher man kind of, uh, rant. It's, 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 it's neat. It's, yeah. it's fine. It's like more. All right. I get some, a lot of religious overtones on this album for sure for sure uh and then it goes into this really fucking beautiful intro and then bam it's ugly funk and the funkiness it's so fucked up and creepy because of the vocal lines the vocal lines are this weirdly sing-songy thing mm-hmm. on top of this groovy but really like almost they're hitting wrong chord. it's 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 a very strange and unsettling section and then it jumps into so many different things it is like a million sections on the song and then it ends with this big jammy heavy um you know kind of long um i don't know anthemic or anthemic kind of kind of part i don't know i lost my vocabulary for a second messy album but at least we got that out of it oh dude it's wild it, uh. i was I don't, I think growing up, I had only ever heard parts of the title track because mm-hmm. it's so long. Uh, I was like, this is, this is basically prog rock. It's so, oh, it's yeah. so crazy. Yeah. As, uh, there's definitely things as a uh, older person that I appreciate that I don't think I caught when I was like teenager in my twenties. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I think most people would overlook that when listening to this album because it doesn't sound like the doors and honestly it's the only album that doesn't sound like the doors it kind of makes me like it more it's like it's it's truly unique in that sense i mean obviously i like it more than something, something yeah for sure uh but it, it it was like yes this is what you should be doing if you feel like if you if you've exhausted a well fucking try something go go wild with it god damn better than being boring 
Hell yeah. Uh, and now we have plenty to talk about, about the making of this album. This is a very long episode. I know. Um, but when they're recording this fucking, uh, George Harrison came to visit, which is, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting because I think he commented that, uh, like this looks like when we made Sgt. Peppers because of all the musicians mm. they had, there's like a million musicians on this album, obviously. Um, but also like sh- shout out to them for never like sounding like the Beatles. Cause I know like the Beatles and Rolling Stones, they had like their, their back and forth, you know, like their Sgt. Peppers, and then um, Rolling Stones did like the the Satanic Service album, yeah. which I love. I love both those albums. I don't think I ever heard the Stones one. I, Stones I've neglected my entire life, except mm. except um, except for a few albums, of course. But but yeah, there are like similarities there. But, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't really like the Doors. Sound like the fucking Doors. I they did. were truly. They were yeah. original. They were yeah. their own thing, and it's why I can't help but respect it. Um, but this is also the album where they they finally started splitting writing credits, at least like on the liner notes mm-hmm. because of a conflict between Jim and Robbie uh, over tell the people. Um, so I, so according to Densmore, he says Jim must've been squirming over not liking the lyrics for months, but he kept it to himself out of respect for the band. Finally, he couldn't contain his disapproval. Um, he said, uh, I don't want the audience to think I wrote these lyrics, Robbie. Then he abruptly went into the bathroom of our rehearsal space. Uh, and Robbie's like, why? It's, it's a good song. And he's like, yeah, but I don't, I don't want the public to think they should get their guns and follow me. <laughs> so since then, like, all right, well, now these are my lyrics and this is, yeah. Uh, which is also interesting because if you look back on the earlier stuff, it says all songs by the doors, mm-hmm. but really light my fire is Robbie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Robbie. And then the intro is by Ray. That's like obviously lyrics by Morrison, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess that's cool. <laughs> I, I really don't really care, but I, I mean, it's important, I guess. Um, laughs, laughs so hard, the headphones came off. <laughs> uh, one thing our, our, our guy, Tom, said, he said, um, uh, he also reflects that some of the <clears throat> the, the title track's lyrics, uh, namely, Can You Give Me a Sanctuary? I Must Find a Place to Hide, um, might reveal how much Morrison was suffering and that maybe Densmore, Robbie, and Ray, and Rothschild were cashing in, quote-unquote, on, on his pain, uh, though they didn't realize it at the time. That makes sense. It, like, I'm sure they weren't intentionally doing anything, but yeah. it's like, he wasn't, like, hiding. <laughs> he was very much a visible mess. Yeah, I mean, he told he told them he's having a nervous breakdown, so. Yep, literally from his mouth. This is one little tidbit that I, I couldn't find much more info about. This is all we have is what Densmore said, um, that the, the name touch me came from a fight that Robbie was having with his wife, Lynn. I think they were married at the time, uh, where out of one of the fights came the quote, come on, come on, come on now hit me, babe. <laughs> and then Jim was like, ah, how about we make it touch me instead? It's a little, it's a little, you know, and then everyone was like, okay, you Good, fair enough. Make it more sexual than violent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how much, uh, how true that is. If that that came out of them fighting like that, but that's what that's you know who would have done hit me. James Brown, not above a good hit me. <sighs> no, he is not in every sense of the word. Oh, this, so there's one interesting show. Uh, was it Madison Square Garden gig in '69? Uh, this is before the album came out, but you know, on the same time period. Uh, they who was it they they fucking challenged jim to a drinking contest or something the night before the concert so that 
the next day he'd be so burned out that he couldn't get drunk and ruin the show. Yeah. That is hilarious that you have to come up with these fucking strategies so that your singer won't fuck up your gigantic arena show. It's, uh, yeah, like uh, Tom said, very uh, uh, a Werner Herzog moment. So, Werner, yeah, Werner, was it um, Klaus Kinski? Yes. Uh, what's the movie? Aguera, The Wrath of God? Yes. But Do you know anything? Have you seen it? Uh, I saw it a long time ago, but yeah, there's, you could do a whole documentary series on Werner Herzog and Klaus Kinski. They are. So according to, to Tom, I'm sure you, you've heard this as well, where he would intentionally make Kinski use up his energy with temper, temper tantrums in order so that they could, they could film without him causing a ruckus or just yeah making things difficult for everybody. Yeah. What a fucking baby. That's hilarious. They're both madmen. Yes. Yeah. That's just one story. Okay. okay. There's so many more. I, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that they basically did that with, with Jim. Who is it? It's Sal Bonafette. Bonafette. Um, it was their manager, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was his partner, Ash, who was a bit of a drinker. Yeah. Ash challenged Jim to a drink contest, and that's how they fucking, <laughs> I don't know, planned a good show. Uh, <laughs> quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. And then now we are at the Miami incident. We God finally damn. got there. We got there. We did it. Uh, so Fuck the other two albums. Dude, so this, this is what we're here for. And this is, I had to really read into this because apparently he was kind of innocent. Yeah. Like- which is so fucked up that you believe that he's not innocent. It makes sense that he's not innocent. It seems like he shouldn't ever be innocent. And he is. And that's kind of swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what's the fucking story? Do you know it? How well do you know the story? Not well. This was my first time. Okay. So it, it was in hearing uh, about it. Really? Yes. Uh, I thought it was in the movie. I don't remember the movie. I haven't seen it since I was a yeah, kid yeah. either. Uh, so it was Morrison's first time back in Florida, where he was from, I guess, um, in in years. So that's already a big thing. And he was, uh, what, what, how does Stephen Davis put it? He says he was about as drunk as one could be and still put on a rough semblance of a rock show. Okay. So he goes on stage and they start playing Backdoor Man and he starts he's doing a little strip tease. Uh, he, he off mic asked if the kids... Their words, not mine. Wanted to see his cock and began unbuckling his belt. Uh, everyone, and this is the weird one. This is the weird little mm-hmm. point in the story. It says everyone could see he was wearing boxer shorts, which interested the band because Jim hardly ever wore underwear. That now that's funny. When the red flag is he's wearing underwear. <laughs> they lucked out. They lucked out that day in Miami. <laughs> so Ray starts screaming over to to Vince Trainer or Trainer, who. Uh, I don't know who that is. You know who Vince Trainer is? I have no idea. I'm assuming he works for the band with yes. the band on stage. He's screaming, Vince, don't let him do it. So he ran, he runs on stage, sticks his thumbs in the waistband of Jim's leather pants so he couldn't pull them down. So instead, uh, he was using his shirt to do this like goofy peekaboo thing with his crotch. But his dick wasn't out. Yeah, yeah. But tons of people, you know, fucking taking pictures uh and he was he was screaming shit at the crowd like a bunch of obscenities and mm-hmm. he was uh, an overall mess i think there was a live lamb that got put on stage or something <laughs> like it's this, a, this lamb's hanging out in miami it is miami dude it's fucking wild so 
was it Larry Mahoney, a young reporter for the Miami Herald who had been a student at FSU at the same time as Jim and may have known him there. Uh, two days after the Miami show, Mahoney began uh, writing inflammatory articles about the Doors' appearance, one of which suggested that Morrison had exposed himself at the dinner key auditorium. And he goes on explaining that he was, you know, talking shit. Uh, he wrote that uh, he Morrison was masturbating in full view of the audience. Not, was it? Was not straight yeah. up, straight up lie. Um, apparently, uh, he said that he sl- he he slugged three. Uh, the, the image officials, uh, and he was like saying that he was violent and beaten off and exposing just lies. And cause he would have heard from those officials if he had not to mention all the photos that people were taking. Oh yeah. So all this, this pub- publicity, I guess all these articles, they go nuts and that fucking levels them. Like they, I bet they canceled yeah. like a whole tour or something like that. Uh, it, it was just an absolute disaster. A mess. He fucking gets arrested. Uh, I for, I forgot when he gets arrested. I think it's later where he gets arrested. Um, and it's like a, it's a whole mess. Basically, trying to fight for his innocence. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he did something. No, he didn't do any time. I think he mm-hmm. got out pretty quickly. But it never got resolved. He died before before any of mm-hmm. that was resolved. I think like ten years ago or something. They 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 gave him like a, a posthumous pardon or something. Sure. Like. Who cares? He's dead. It's too late. It's fucking ridiculous. But it's, it, it is it is really weird because I've always known about this story, like in, in passing. Never knew that a lot of it was just slander, fabricated. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, this was my first time hearing about it. But yeah, if it was you know, if it was true, I think there'd be a lot more evidence. Yep. And there are crazier things in rock and roll that are true. So uh, what's the consensus on the shark up the vagina for Led Zeppelin? I don't know if we talked about that, that in the episode. That's still, that's still mystery to me. That's, oh. I think that one's still up in the air, but, uh, that one's dark. <laughs> I know on behind the music, uh, for, uh, Ted Nugent famous for dating little girls. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, not not just him. I mean, all of oh, them, yeah. all of them I pretty mean, much. Jerry Lee Lewis, oh, Steven Tyler. Jerry Lewis was, was uh, scary. Dude. Didn't he marry his cousin? Yeah. Yeah, that's fucking, that's a, that's a whole different category. Yeah. That's fucking wild. But yeah, Ted Nugent and Steven Tyler are, are here, so. They are. I, I mean, all of them. They all did it. They fucking, they're all free men right now. Yeah. yeah. David Lee Roth. <laughs> What did David Lee Roth? I don't know. You knew damn well he didn't do shit with animals at least. I never heard anything about I don't want to bring Diamond Dave into this. Oh, they all did it. They all did it. I'm going to stand by what I know for now. Oh, uh, shit. Uh, but yeah, so this is a wild era of the band. Things were obviously going sour, but we have more. Oh my God, this is this this needed to be a long episode. It's the fucking doors. But I'm assuming you're ready. I'm ready. Hell yeah. Okay. Uh, this operator is underrated. Fucking give it a chance. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Title uh, track rules. That was the last one. Okay. Uh, yeah. 1970s. They're finally out of the 60s. This is 1970s Morrison Hotel. <laughs> Top or a uh, CCR does it. 
CCR special. Yeah. They were also rarely blues. ZZ Top is special. I don't know why we give them exceptions. Because they're fucking better. They're just better. Yeah. To be fair, this is a song I want to hear if I'm at a Roadhouse style bar. I think that I think we can do better. I think sure, we, yeah. but this isn't gonna piss me off if I walk in and this is bumping. I don't think anything in the doors of discography is gonna piss me off, but it doesn't make me excited either. Fair enough. Yeah, this song sounds like a direct response to the entire last album. Like, okay, we'll try to do something like that first album. We'll be gritty. We'll, we'll bring back the Doors sound. We'll stop playing with horns. That is about as bluesy as it gets. I mean, that's about as bluesy as they've ever been. Yeah. Also, worst, least favorite. Worst, least favorite. We, we came together again. again. Dude, we had like one episode where we, <laughs> we fucking came to blows, basically. But, dude, this album fucking blows. I can't. It's bad. I, am, I couldn't believe it because it's, it's such an iconic cover, too. I don't know why I didn't look. Is Waiting for the Sun a holdover from the fucking album? Like, this, well, this, yeah, the song Waiting for the Sun is on this album. I don't know. Uh, I'm assuming it was written later or wasn't finished at the time. I don't know exactly. That's the only good song. It's fucking. It is a good song. It's heavy. It's trippy. It's what I want. Yeah, it has big, giant, fuzzy keys. It's not the most original thing writing wise, but it's one of the best songs here for sure. Um most this is the blues album i mean there's still blue stuff on the next mm-hmm. one but this is where like there's, they're almost making it a point to be bluesy and boy oh boy is it a slog to listen to it's rough i'm glad it's a short album but i i it's so this is the biggest uh i don't know aggravation point for me is that the world hated the saw parade mm-hmm. and then this comes out and they're like they're back baby yet oh. yet oh. today in our in the year of our Lord 2022, how many of these songs do we hear them playing? Uh, and compare it to the last album. I would say, you know, you got the Roadhouse Blues and then probably Peace Frog slash Blue Sunday. And those, I would say, out of all their hits, I have heard the least. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you got at least Touch Me and Wild Child. Were, those are like yeah, huge. Yeah. And so... It, basically, what I'm saying is that history proved that they're, they're fucking stupid. This yes. is not a return to form album. This is their first bad album. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of a lot of mid shit on here. Um, you like, make me real. I fucking hate the piano on that. <laughs> there's a lot of bluesy <laughs> pianos on here, but it's still continuing that dirty. Filthy it is very gritty. gritty. Yeah, uh, I think one of the most like offensive songs on here is land ho oh easily one of the worst songs that yeah. song is only okay if you're making music for a children's tv program and even then it's questionable it's pretty questionable it's jaunty it's fun i guess but i like it less every time i hear it uh and it's it's also funny if you like you put on that song and you put on almost anything from the earlier albums it's whoa like yeah. who the fuck is this this is such a dip uh the spy is one of the per- the best examples of them being born blues. Like yeah, you, yeah, that I, was like peak born blues. I didn't know you could write a song about spies and have it be so boring. Uh, um, there is some stuff I'm fine with on here. Um, well, 
Peace Frog, Blue Sunday. It's like I love Blue Sunday and hate Peace Frog. Yeah, <laughs> it's basically I, how I feel about it. Yeah, I think it's fine. It's fine for you know. It's better than a lot of other shit on here. Uh, Ship of Fools is. I think it's fairly underwhelming, but it, it's it has a cool section metal. It has, I think it's better on multiple listens. Mm-hmm. It has it has a very nice odd rhythm to it. Um, uh, I do like the drums of the, in that song. Uh, but again, it's just like everything on here feels like a watered down version of anything they've ever done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Queen of the Highway is cool. It's a, I think it's it's on the darker side. It feels a little bigger, more spacious compared to the other songs, at least production wise. Uh, I I do still hate it though. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. <laughs> Indian Summer is like a. It's very reminiscent of the end. Mm-hmm. Obviously weaker, but um, it's. I think it's pretty relaxing it's nice it's very mellow it's in it's in that same vein i think i was fuming by the time queen queen of the highway came on so you just you just you wrote that you wrote that anger. i wrote that anger and then i think the final three tracks aren't too bad maggie mcgill is i think is the best blue song on here if we're gonna pick one of those yeah it's not as cliche as the other ones no but but it is for sure their weakest closer Period. No, no doubt about it. No doubt about that. Uh, it's not, man. I do think like not everything, like nothing on here is god awful except for Land Hope, perhaps. But it's all just a forgettable, weaker version of everything they've ever done. Yeah, yeah. There's this like, I don't know. I've I've listened to Strange Days. I can't fucking listen to this. <laughs> yeah, and and the the most baffling thing of all. This album, I think, took nine months to do. This is the the mm. long. They took the longest making this album. That is fucking absurd. Because this is like the most creatively bankrupt album they have. Easily, easily, and and I don't, I don't know what the consensus is these days. Because they still consider, well, at least what you read online, people still consider this operated as the worst album, which is. How could you? How could you when this exists? I mean, holy shit. Oh, my God. I think they also this kind of had such a a short lifespan that all the records are kind of held in a little bit of esteem. Yes, some esteem where maybe a band like Rolling Stones has a million albums. So oh, yeah. Can, yeah. You can probably be a little bit more harsh, I guess. Yeah, um, we're spending our time, but all things considered, this is a pretty manageable short discography, all yeah. things considered. Very short albums and with like very few misses. Um, maybe not maybe not everyone's favorite band ever, but this is like the only one I was like, Jesus Christ, I have to hear this twice? Ugh. It, uh, yeah, I felt it. So at the suggestion of Rothschild, uh, the band went for a grittier sound. Um, uh, apparently, they're still, uh, according to Dan's they were still taking twelve to fifteen takes per song. Oops. Oh my god, I would have, I would have quit of these songs. Of these yes. songs, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Soft Parade, I would be like, I can see the vision. Maybe I'll dedicate myself to that. But these songs, I'm like, it's over and over again. It really is. Uh, they had Lonnie Mack on bass for Roadhouse Blues. I think he was a he intimidated the band quite a bit just because he was so uh I don't know um what's a he was like a real bad real badass real badass probably played in a few roadhouses oh most definitely he knew Sam Elliott <laughs> um I think even Jim was like shy around him which is which is pretty funny 
Uh, uh, John Sebastian of the Eleven Spoonful played harmonica on Roadhouse, but he insisted on being credited as as G Pugles 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 because he was embarrassed to be associated with the Doors after the Miami incident. Understandable. I know, and that that's so around this time, like that's where the. the they were now the legal comes in yeah and it was a it was a whole to do man like it's so wild how that you take that incident and you put it today and it's just a non-issue like it is nothing there's nothing there yeah i think like now with like everyone has a camera now it'd be like there'd be video evidence that you know he didn't do that yeah one yeah but also david Yao, man I mean, there was dicks all over the place and a lot of bands that we've covered on this pod. And we nothing, haven't dude. even got to G.G. Allen yet. Haven't even done G.G. Allen. And that is a little worse. A little worse. Is but objectively the worst. It is. It is by law the worst. <laughs> uh, so uh, in 70, 1970, they were booked for the uh, the Isle of Wight Festival. Uh, two days later, Morrison uh, was supposed to attend court in Florida, which was on a Monday morning. I think uh, it was a bad it was a bad set. It was a bad show. Mm. Uh, Jim was probably should have canceled. Basically, he was uh, like comatose on stage. Basically, he was mm. he was awake, but he wasn't doing anything. Mm-hmm. And then. Of course, the who comes on next and mm, mm, mm. annihilates fucking murders, dude. That is, uh, <laughs> whew, if you, you're on drugs and drunk as fuck, uh, you do not want to play the same bill as the who. They are a force a, at especially that Especially with Keith Moon. Oh, that's, uh, that's, that's a shame. You, you, yeah, that's, uh, that's embarrassing. Yeah. At least they didn't, oh, at least they didn't close it. Oh shit! That, they, yeah, that would have been a bigger. That would have been humiliating. Yeah. Um. Uh. Actually, the uh, because I mentioned, the, I mean, the cover of this album is super iconic. I think it's one of the best covers. I think it's a very cool cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was surprised to hear the backstory was even neater. It was a real hotel, the Morrison Hotel, which is now like they, they it was shut down Something for years. Else, yeah. Yeah, and then they I think they re um they renovate re. re is it renovated? Renov- yeah, I was renov- gonna say re-renovated, and I realized that was stupid. Uh, so they now it's like a, a memorial, but you know, like a museum type, you know, mm-hmm. homage to to the actual hotel. But at the time, it was just a regular hotel, and maybe it was because of the the bad publicity from the Miami incident, which I I'm assuming this is what it was. But that hotel manager was like, "Nah, no pictures." Fuck it. And they were like, we'll give you money. Like, yeah. Yeah, don't care. Fucking scram. He just uh, turned into a New Yorker. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Who says he wasn't? Even though it wasn't <laughs> in New York, he was in LA. He might have um, been. Yeah. But refused. Uh, so they did the next best thing. Uh, who is it? Who is it? Um, that that took the photo. I forget his name. Sorry about that. But uh, he goes outside. Henry Diltz. Hen- there we go. Thank you. Great, um, great last name. Good so, name. Good name. Yeah. He goes outside across the street, uh, nonchalantly. The band goes back into the into the lobby, casually. They run and they sit right in front of the window, facing outside. And he takes a photo from across the street, and then they they scram before the fucking manager comes to kick him out. Nice, nice, hell yeah, very uh, punk rock, hell yeah. And they took the rest of the photos at the the Hard Rock Cafe across was it across the street, I think, mm-hmm. um, who were more than welcoming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is yeah. So this is this album went down fucking very well with critics, and then they were all happy and like, all oh, our, our doors is back, thank goodness, uh, and. Uh, 
this is so he went to court. Um, he was uh, not he found not not guilty of gross lewdness and uh, lascivious behavior, but he was found guilty of vulgar and indecent exposure and uh, indecent language or, or vulgar and indecent language. Um, but the the other the other charges were felonies. So he skipped. He managed to dodge the felony. Uh, and got stuck with the other ones, which he was still fighting by the time he mm-hmm. died. But anyway, uh, we got one more left. Yes. We're tired. We're tired in this episode. They were tired as a band. It has been a long journey. I shouldn't have talked about those movies. Ah, who gives a fuck? <laughs> uh, but here we are. They had one album deal with Elektra. Uh, they had, they had, to, they just, they were bound by contract. I forgot what the whole shit with everything was, but basically they had one more to go and they just needed to put this out. And here we go. Oh boy. This is, and my, my voice is hanging on by a thread. 1971's LA Woman. Man, that dirty bass. Oh, it does sound good. Oh. More, more funk driven than uh, the blues here, at least. Yeah, it's funky blues, and it feels pretty good. Shout out to that James Brown album, Show Is Funky. Oh, is it the instrumental one? Yes. Yeah. Where James Brown plays the organ. Uh, a lot of cool shit that I think is better than this. But in the same vein. In the same vein. There is so much more liveliness in this production. There is. Yeah. It's uh, not perfect, but... uh... I I really like Jim's voice in this whole album. It is so destroyed by booze, and he's so gruff. He really sounds like his weight at this time. (laughs) Pretty cool opener. Pretty cool opener. Not a bad song. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I was worried this was more of the same, but I think there is some more energy to it. Like yep. you said, um, this album is. It is. Well, it's not one of their best, but goddamn, is it pretty good? It, it, it definitely makes the last album. Uh, look a lot worse yeah i mean that's yeah that last album's a low bar but i like the stuff towards the end here um save for crawling king snake the cover by john lee hooker which i can't mm-hmm. stand um i agree there's a lot of really so there is still some blue stuff on here that i, I can't really get behind been down so long isn't that bad but it's still very bluesy i mean jim sounds fucking gruff on that song yeah i can't imagine writing a song like that when you've like been to such highs as you know uh-huh some of their some of their best stuff it's pretty basic and cars hits by my window i think is really one of the i think it's probably the worst song on the album it's it's double doubly offensive because it's right after been down so long so like you get a generic blues song and now you get a slower yeah generic blues song it's pretty rough but let me tell you 
America. La America. What's Ooh. that song doing on this album? I'm glad it's on here, but it, what's it, it doing on here? It is one. It is fucking wild. It is. So I mean, there's one moment where it shits all over itself and goes bluesy, but even that's excusable because of how crazy the song. The rest is. is yeah. It is so awesome. It's so dark. It's it. The intro is basically some doom metal shit. Yeah, that's probably why I liked it. It's fucking crazy. Uh, very ugly. Very almost sinister. Uh, Lover Madly. I th- I'm actually surprised I like it. Um, and it's, it's really crazy how they can like pull out a single that's just like all their singles. Could this be put on the same album? They really could. Yeah. It's like doesn't matter what kind of vibe the record is. They're somehow... The, they just reach in and they're like, here's like one or two songs that, that are, are going to make us a bunch of money. Yeah. Everyone's going to love. Yeah. Uh, I do. So one thing that blew my mind, uh, I'm listening to the, that song uh, and I'm like, man, Jim sounds like he's fucking singing in a bathroom. And apparently he was well, nice, <laughs> which is hilarious. I'm yeah. pretty sure I read that. Uh, I think it's, I don't know if it's, Maybe they didn't specify which song, but they said on this album, he was singing, recording his tracks in the doorway of a bathroom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like fucking no shit, huh? Yeah. But so, no. so what else? Um, the title track. I mean, we've spent a whole bunch of time on the title track. I always like to pretend he's like mumbling and not saying real words. This makes it more fun. For me. <laughs> Love it. I think it's one of their best songs. It is. It's fuck. I don't really. I love it. I think it's fantastic, especially that clean section on three minutes in. Oh, such beautiful arpeggios there. Ooh. Mm. I, I love the whole thing. Uh, a song that uh, caught me by surprise, uh, Hyacinth House. Hyacinth House. It's just so nice. It is. So relaxing. It's so happy, especially following Lamerica. Yeah. It is, that is what you call good pacing. Just yeah. fucking mixing it up right there. Um, I am really surprised that no one talks about the Wasp. I feel like I've heard people talk about it. Really? The, I've never heard anybody talk about it. I feel like, a, and like on paper, I think... I would, I think I hate the wasp on paper, but then I listen to it and that's, that song rules. That's rules. one of the f- few like blues songs. That's like justifiable. It's great. It yeah. is great. It, yeah. Um, th- looking at it now, like all my notes, this is a weirdly diverse album. Like it seems like it's like, Oh, it's the blues era. on the, on the surface. Exactly. You think it's a bluesy album. It's mm-hmm. really only a couple blues, like three blues tra- or four. I think it's just so like overwhelming. <laughs> uh, they are pretty exhausting, but the rest are really individualistic and uh, r- unlike most of their catalog. And then, of course, the closer, Riders in the Storm. I think it's my favorite closer of theirs. Yeah, I wrote uh, for my thoughts on Riders of the Storm. See my thoughts on the end. It's pretty much I know it's gigantic. I know it's long. I know it's a big song, but it's fucking good. It is phenomenal. And I still don't think it's like as perfect of a song as when the music's over, mm-hmm. but I happen to just love it. Um, those keys melt me, dude. I yeah, they're they're just iconic at this point. Yep, and and the baseline is one of my favorite baselines of all time. Um, I, I, even in my jaded teen years, when I was all into thrash and hardcore punk or whatever the fuck, um, I'm at like a a buddy's house and they're getting drunk, and then in the background because it's East LA. Riders on the Storm comes on, uh, and I'm like, 
God damn, that's a good song. <laughs> like, oh, fuck, I can't deny it. Even at this age, I can't deny it. That's, uh, yeah, that's when you're smoking weed. It, yeah, but, you know, they were trash people. They were, sure. they, were they were doing it all. They were doing it all. Sure. They, were, they were drinking literally, and I'm not kidding, the memory I'm thinking of, I remember exactly where I was. I remember who I was with, and I remember they were drinking Mad Dog 2020s. Hell, yeah, that's <laughs> when you know it's a good night if there's Mad Dog, if there's 211. It's, oh. it's going down. I think they were playing that fucking Marvel game, too. What the hell is that? Moncala? Is that what that's called? Where you scoop them up and you move them over. In, like, if there's <laughs> yeah. three in, you move three down. It was so boring th- watching yeah. them do that. <laughs> Man, I would think, like, Domino. Fucking Moncala. Dude, I didn't even know win. it was called Moncala. It sounds like a wrestler. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm i not going to say anything where I think that's from. I, but not from America, so. Not from not America. For not La America. No, sir. Uh yeah, far from perfect, but uh, um, better than I expected. It would still has some of their best songs on here, which is like, it's the only album. Well, no, no, I'm sorry. The last album was the only album that didn't have any of their best songs on it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you really, yeah, yeah. This is this is just as good, really, as most of their albums. Um, really surprising though, because they should have been dead at this point. Well, that's not far off. It is not far off, but in terms of recording, this is where they like. We're done with Rothschild. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean Rothschild refused to work with him. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, uh, he showed up at one of the early rehearsals for this, and he was already just distraught because that was the same time Janis Joplin died, and mm-hmm. he had to finish her album by himself. Mm. So he's already like just wits and and She's dead. Where am I supposed to get the other 99 <laughs> takes from? It's true. Did push the people. Uh and he, I think, I think he hated Lover Madly. And I think he liked him. I think he really liked Riders on the Storm and LA Woman. He's like, okay, mm-hmm. those are fucking great. But Lover Madly, he was just angry and pissed off at that song. He's like, I'm not doing this. I'm out. Nah. So he just refused to, to, to work on the album. I would love to have that kind of clout. Or you can just tell huge bands like this song's utter dog shit. Yeah, and it fucking especially when it blows up and it's actually a, a good song and it does. Oh, Jesus Christ! So, uh, longtime uh, engineer Bruce Bodnick, he recorded the band. Uh, it was produced by The Doors and and Bruce, but uh, because of that chi- that shift, they started recording a song a day, and they were done lickety split. And how much better is this album than the last one? <laughs> yes, I guess, you know, the Doors, they got a week to write songs. Anything after that? Yep. So, the, obviously, Jim is not doing so bad. I mean, sorry, he's not doing so good. Ooh, so ooh. well, yeah. Not doing not doing good at all. I'm doing no well, no well. Um, on Sundays, according to Dan, he says, when we were off, he would go to bars, get drunk, and crash his car. It was as if something started real early, and Jim got channeled into creativity temporarily and was going to get him one way or another. What a final destination way to look at it. Uh, they obviously edited Riders in the Storm down to fit radio time, mm-hmm. um, and they did a great job. Apparently, even Ray couldn't even spot where the edit was. They, oh, they, they cut out yeah. all of his solos just to, to make it fit. Um but they did well, of course. And then this is where it happened. Uh, it was the day before Morrison died. He, uh, um, he called Densmore 
And this is a brutal conversation. It is so dark. Uh, and this is the conversation. Um, this is according to, to Densmore. He says, the phone rang on, th- on a Thursday morning. Hey, man, how you doing? Said the voice I knew only too well. The whiskeyed voice that struck terror in me. Hi, Jim. I replied tentatively, thinking that he was the last person in the world I wanted to talk to. Uh, how is it over there? Uh, how was France? Okay, not bad. Uh, how's LA woman doing? Uh, he didn't sound too. He didn't sound loaded. Too early in the morning. Wait a minute. I thought it's early evening there. <laughs> bad sign when the booze hound is not boozing. Mm. Weirdly, uh, so he said, "Great, it's doing. It's really doing great." Um, I love her madly as a hit, and everyone really likes the album. Um, what I was not going to tell him was that we had already started rehearsing without him. We'd done it before, but this time I had an eye for going on without him. As hard as it was to admit it, I couldn't bear the thought of going through another recording session with the rock and roll world's Dr. Jekyll. And then Jim said, oh, maybe, maybe we should do another one. Sure, Jim, good idea. The most, Damn. the most, they're there, they're yeah. there answer I could even imagine. Yeah. And he, I guess he felt a little bit guilty because he didn't want to ever see him again. He had no interest in working with him um, ever again. Uh, and then, well, he didn't day later he was dead. And of course everyone knows like the you know mystery behind that. Mm-hmm. No autopsy done. He found in the bathtub by his lady friend, his long, his long, I forgot her name. Um, she was like his, his main squeeze. Mm. They basically considered her his wife at the point. It was like, I think it counted as common law. Um, under California law. So she inherited all of his stuff and this is all, yeah, whatever. Um, I think she's dead too, but wait, she's definitely dead. Uh, I, I have forgot, no idea who this woman is. I forgot her name, Pamela Corson. Um, yeah, she was like on and off again, kind of, kind of lady friend, mm-hmm. but she was like the main squeeze. She was like basically his wife, like mm-hmm. the one that stuck by him and encouraged him and all that. Um, and she is dead. Yes. Of course. I think she died young. Yeah. She, Oh, um, three, too, three years too, after. Goddamn. 1974. Goddamn. That's depressing. Who got all her stuff? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> We're going to track them all down. Yeah. So um, Thomas, our, our boy Tom says, looking back after Morrison's death, Densmore realized the extent of Morrison's alcoholism leading up to his death. Yeah. Apparently like he, he, he'd gone to the, the bars where he would go to drink or Jim would go to drink and the bartenders were like, were talking about him like, oh yeah, he's, he's, he's always here. He out drank everybody. And he's like, oh shit. I guess he like he didn't even, he didn't even know he was that much of a booze hound. That's kind of wild. Looking at all the things that we talked about and all the things that happened, like how do you how do you it, not? Yeah. How do you not? Like yeah. I guess of, if you're living that rock and roll lifestyle and everyone is drinking, but yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they're all yeah. very very fucked up, but. But clearly one is more fucked up. I mean, they had to get him drunk before the, the night before a show to have a good show. How does not, that not give you every answer you need? Holy shit. So, yeah, that happened. And the band carried on um, without Morrison for two albums <clears throat> that no one talks about. And then reemerged in, in 78 for an album of Morrison's spoken word put to music. Uh, so this is what Densmore said about other voices. The album that, you know, 1971, the first album without Morrison. Oh boy. He says back at our studio where only months before we had recorded our comeback album, quote unquote, as the critics were already calling it. 
where Jim had recorded his vocals from the funky bathroom, the evening sessions, uh, the evening session for what eventually became the other voices album was lifeless. I uh, flailed madly at my drums, but my heart wasn't in it. My mind kept going back to the early days, the cruising days with Jim around the canals of Venice with the radio blaring out of his hot, blaring out the hot hits of the summer of 66 while we discovered psychedelics and girls and meditation. And it looked like we were going to change the world and change it now. What a fucking sad image. Oh, damn. Boy. God damn. Excited to listen to those albums. Oh, God. Oh, boy. Loose ends. We'll do a loose end. Uh, oh, boy. In 2001, they put on a, a show for VH1 with a host of guest singers, including Mike and Alex's favorite, Perry Farrell. The opposite. <laughs> the opposite of uh, Dave Matthews. Oh, what a fucking scumbag. I do like his voice, though. I do like Perry Farrell's voice. <laughs> scumbag, though. Uh, Coming down the mountain. It's led to a tour with Ian Asbury of the cult on vocals. Apparently, it didn't go so well, though. I remember I remember that. Really? What happened? Uh, well, not that it didn't go so well, but when, when it was announced that Ian was going to like do a tour with the Doors. And uh-huh. at the time, I was like, that makes sense. Ian's very... Jim Morrison like yeah. uh well well liked singer in a well liked bluesy rock and roll band. This seems like a great idea, but apparently not. Apparently not. You know what Ian Ashbury did end up doing, and I don't know if they toured with him, but he ended up doing an album or an EP with Boris. Really? What the fuck? I like it. I, I think it's rad. But uh so, man, Boris is he, a fucking unpredictable parent. He went the opposite. He's like, no, no, I don't want to do stadiums. Bring me Boris. Bring me a band that doesn't speak English that no one wants to listen to. They're not gonna argue with me. Let's do it. God, I love Boris. Oh <laughs> uh, shit. Uh but that's it. That's, we're done. Go home. Thanks so much for listening and watching and hanging this out. This is the end. Ah, ha, 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 ha. Uh, this is a little recap. We I mean, it's a very simple recap. We have the same picks. Best personal favorite, Strange Days, even if you don't love The Doors. You might love that album. Yes. It is peak. It is peak, baby. And Worsley's favorite, Morrison Hotel. If you don't like blues, you won't like the album. And it also is the easily most forgettable. Lackluster. And it's the only, I think it's their only weak album, honestly. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think I'm bad. content it. with that with that statement. Uh, thanks so much for listening and watching and hanging out. If you like the video, like like the video. And if you want to talk shit to us, there's comments for that. And you can also leave your picks for best and worst. Uh, leave some anecdotes about the band. I'm sure everybody has some kind of history with this band. Who the fuck doesn't know the goddamn doors? Um, there's also a playlist on Spotify. There's a link to that in the description. We got plays associated with most episodes. <clears throat> you can find all those at everyalbumever.com. Uh, you can follow me on all social media at PanderMonkey and Alex on Instagram at Every Album Alex. Hell yeah. Please follow our history guy, Tom Island, who put in a whole bunch of work for us, had gave us all this lore. You can find him on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Tom Osmond Sounds, as well as his Substack, tomosmond.substack.com, and his debut album, 
so much for all in day's work, which you could find a link to in the description as well. In addition to my debut EP, Pounder Monkey. So listen to that as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lastly, not leastly, patreon.com slash every album ever. Hell yes. There we got bonus episodes. You get to see our schedule in advance. You get to vote on polls to decide who we're covering next. Uh, you get to join our little Discord community and, and uh, throw out uh, suggestions for our EAE singles episodes. We pick them all out from, from Discord. And if you're tier two, if you're bigger than Jesus, then you can suggest a full discography for us to cover and we will put it right on the schedule. It might take us a year to get to it. Maybe, well, not literally, but close to it. <laughs> It'll take us a while to get to it, but we will be on the schedule and an episode will be made. So do that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I think there's only one song we, we got to end it with. I agree. You lost a little girl. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell, so thank you so much for listening and watching. See ya. You're a lost little girl.